Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Ellie Harley-Davidson, TCX Boots Australia, and Moto Products. My guest today is Josh Bailey, a motorcycle enthusiast and one of the co-founders of Skinny Social, a motorcycle garage in Brisbane. In this show, we discuss Josh's unique tale of how he got into motorcycling, his couple of tours overseas for the Defence Force, drones, a story about a van, and many other great yarns. I really hope everyone enjoys the show. Josh is a fantastic storyteller and gives me a real insight into his life in this one. There's a few heavy moments in there, but some fantastic stories along the way. So hope you enjoy it. Hit subscribe on our YouTube and we'll catch you up with another show very soon. Welcome, Josh Bailey. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, Good to be here. And finally, after about 18 months of um, following Talk and Chatter, or almost two years now, isn't it? Yeah, two years on May 7 was the first one with Brian Farrow. So we've... uh, We've been on a journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've been following it really closely and I really like what you're doing and, and the long-form content sort of thing and actually getting people's stories out. I, I really, really like that part of talk and chatter. So I feel uh, really blessed to be on here, I suppose. Mate, you don't have to be like – you don't have to be that. You make me feel <laughs> funny about it. But, uh, no, nah, it's good to have you on here. And we've spoken um, – Obviously, it face to face a few times, um, and through message for the, for those eighteen months as well. So, um, yeah, it's nice to sit down and have a long form conversation today. And um, as I say, we met up in probably I think it might have been December. We're we're going to yep, do it like yep. four weeks later. Yeah. And, um, four weeks turned into sixteen to twenty or something like that. But yep. uh, we're here now. So, who's Josh Bailey? Oh, uh, and I think everybody that comes on here probably does that noise when you ask them who is, you know, whatever their name is. But um, good question. Uh, So I am now uh, one of the co-founders of Skinny's Social Garage, uh, which is a a member's garage based in Brisbane. um, And we kind of provide the space and tools and advice for people to be able to work on their own bikes. Um, But I suppose without a bit of my background, you might just assume that I've been in the motorcycle industry my whole life. And I'm, to be honest, I haven't. Um, I've only really been into motorcycles in my adult years uh, because when I was a young fella, I, I just didn't have, I wasn't exposed to motorbikes other than maybe my dad working on them or something like that. But uh, I, I just didn't have motorbikes as a kid. And then I sort of saw some stuff later on as an adult Um and it, it was actually um, stories of bike by Cam Elkins. Yep. And and the way that people talked about riding a bike, um, I was like, that's really interesting. And it, and it looks super um, cathartic almost. And, and so that was actually when I was um, overseas in the Middle East. Um, so a bit of my background is I was in the army for uh, about – 10 years full-time and then five years part-time and uh, deployed a couple of times to the Middle East and Afghanistan. Uh, and when you're over there and it's quiet, which is, you know, um, surprisingly more often than not, um, they had just good enough internet to be able to like surf the web and maybe um, look at YouTube. And this wow. is like 10, 12 years ago now, right? So, um yeah, it was YouTube wasn't as massive as it is now, um, but I saw these sort of stories um, and the way people described riding a bike, and it was just 
in, intrigued me. So as soon as I got back to Australia, I, I bought a um, bike and and got on got on the road and and just sort of found that I was experiencing the world in a completely different way. Yeah. I was, the, you know, the one thing that I really notice uh, on a bike that you never notice in a car is smell. It's mm-hmm. it's actually you you can smell like a campfire wafting through a valley or like the the trees in spring freshly cut grass and it sounds a bit weird but like when you're in a sealed container like a car you just don't get that and I was hooked like immediately so uh, I've been a bit of a bike tragic ever since and it didn't really help that I um my first bike was like a 1969 Triumph Daytona um and everybody made jokes about it as yeah. when I, when they saw it and I didn't really get it. And, and I was like, what, it's like seven, eight, nine years now I've had that thing and uh, it's still getting rebuilt because it just spent very little time on the road because yeah. it was so unreliable. You run out of spinners with one of those. <laughs> oh, and they're Whitworth in, yeah. in some – like it's not Imperial, it's not metric, yep. it's Whitworth. It's like they made their own. Isn't it? British standard Whitworth. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and it's – and like you can get away with most metric or Imperial swapping, yep. but there's just – you get to one nut that is like ridiculous. Wow. You just can't get anything to fit it. So, Do you know the history yeah. of that bike? Uh, yeah. So they, they actually um, produced them after they won – Daytona, the Daytona 500, I think it was. Wow. Um, in 19, I'll probably get this wrong, 67, I think it was. Um, and so they built a sp- specific racing bike and it was a 500cc twin. Yeah. Um, and so the previously, I think the Bonneville motors at the time were about a 650. Um, so it was a bit of a step change for them. Um, but apparently the motor is a really good motor, but yeah. just leaks oil all the time. So Yeah, which probably did from 1969. Because <laughs> like you're after that area yeah. of um, leather seals and stuff, aren't you? There's no, is there any of that in that? At no. That time? It's no. all out of that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. out of that era yeah. into the new era of neoprene and the rubbers and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. still they had the issues that were inherent for those years, you know? So. Yeah, and they just couldn't manufacture to the tolerances that we have these days. Correct. Like a flat surface back then was pretty good, but like a flat surface nowadays is like down to, you know, I don't, I don't know, like a hundred thousandth of a millimetre or something ridiculous. Um, but I, I actually got some tips from my old man who'd built his own BSA when he was a young fella. Wow. And um, he said, if you glue some uh, sandpaper down to a glass sheet, because glass is perfectly flat, um, then you grab the primary cover. It's a bit harder if you've got, obviously, the um, case. But uh, just whatever covers you can get off and you just kind of crosshatch it gently, um, you'll get almost a perfect surface. Um, So I tried that myself and... Uh, I was, I, to be honest, I don't have the skill to do it. It it's, sounds easy. It's like, you know, when you watch stuff on YouTube and they're like, just do this and you try it yourself and you're like, no, I need some, need yep. a professional to do this. It's so bad, even <laughs> yeah. to the point of, and this is, everyone's probably going to laugh at this that's listening, but even to the point of changing tyres on a bike. 
It yep. looks so easy. Like I watch Gemma Wilson, like MX Store, right, ran the um, – while COVID was on. Yeah. There's not much content because that first two months wasn't much happening, you know. But they ran a tyre-changing contest. They had like Jeff Ballard, Jessica Gardner, Gemma Wilson, like a whole lot of different MX riders and that, see who could change the tyre the quickest. And I looked at it and I'm like, like I haven't even found a tyre lever by the time they've got a tyre on. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. YouTube makes it look so easy. Oh. Everything. Oh. And to be honest, I'm a bit spoiled. We've got a, a tyre machine at Skinny. So. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and that, this is where we get yeah. to this too. Yeah. This is the idea of having one of these places, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And so actually one of the boys brought down three tyres the other day to change. Mm. Um, he's got a, a new Tenere, actually, a T7, which, geez, they're a good bike. Yeah. Oh, super tempted. <laughs> um, there, there's like three of them that have bought bikes in the last like couple of months because they jumped on the Tenere, yep. rode it for like 20 minutes and went, no, nah, I've got to buy one of these. Um, but, jeez, uh, I should be sponsored for Yam- by Yamaha for this, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, it's going um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um so he brought his tyres down to change and um, on we got it on the machine and we were just having the worst time with his rim lock and one of the guys is like, you know what is actually easier is changing these just with levers yeah. because of that rim lock because it, it pinches the tyre between the rim and the um, rim lock yep. and we, we just struggled to get it on when it was on the tyre machine and we spent like half an hour on this stupid tyre and then once we got that one done, the other two took five minutes apiece. Wow. So it's just a bit of a bit of a learning experience. Once you know it and do the right things and that yep. sort of stuff, you you get it much faster the second, third, fourth time. Yeah, it's one of those things I, I – I, um, yeah, repetitive process. That's mm. all it is, just complete repetitive process. When, when you're deployed, obviously, mm. and we'll talk a bit more about that, but – you're obviously in a camp. You've got time, you've got downtime. There's mm. chaos everywhere, but there's downtime as well when you're yeah. looking at things. Yeah. Um, have you ever been injured, just in general? Oh, all the time. Did, yeah. Is it like that when you're sitting in a camp watching things on YouTube, where you're like, you're saying about watching motorcycles? Mm. You know, when you're injured, you see something online and you go, "Gee, I'd love to try that." Was that what it was like over there when you're seeing? Because you bikes? can't. You can't. Yeah. Was it like that? Um, I, I reckon so. All right. Like I. I came back and this is going to sound weird, um, but I really appreciated good grass when I got back. Wow. And I know it sounds weird, but because... Like the stuff for your feet too. You know? Just nice, soft grass. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, the <laughs> ground stuff, yep. not the, um, the... Actually, apparently the Cannabis Party might get a seat in the is recent right? election. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, I digress. But um, the, the feeling of nice, soft grass, because over there it's just harsh, rocky dirt um and then there there's some really nice green belts of like um i I guess bushes and trees and all that sort of stuff so it's not all just complete rocky desert but um it's just not you know like good old queensland blue cooch that that stuff yeah i know and um i'm gonna sound sound like a classic dad there but it's just you can't you can't beat some of those things you've grown up with and find that comfort in. I yep. think it's the comfort that you get out of that. But um, the lack of all of that while you're over there is is like a lot of what puts a lot of, I guess, stress and pressure and yep. it all sort of com- compounds together, I suppose. Yeah, it's like a, mm. a deprivation. You're sort of deprived of some of those things you take like grass. 
mm. take it really for granted, especially at the moment. Like you'd turn yeah. on it and go, damn, this thing's getting mud through my feet. And, yeah. You know, but, yeah, I, yeah, that that's something I've never heard someone say. <laughs> probably yourself like, a, and amongst your, your peers and that, mm. it's probably something you spoke of a fair bit, you know? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, everybody's got different things yep. though as well that they miss but the commonality is that they miss things right mm. and that's like you hit on exactly right there's the deprivation piece yep. yeah and uh and when you get home it makes it also so much better just being back home and having all those familiar things and and getting to you know just kind of do what you want to do yeah <laughs> just yeah just enjoy you you yep. know yeah so you did a couple of tours yeah, yeah. So 2010, um, I was over mostly in our, our Minhad Air Base, which is actually just out of Dubai. And that's a big staging area for the ADF. Wow. Um, yeah, and and that was um, it was a good trip. I learned quite a bit, but it was a it's pretty hard trip to be honest because we lost a lot of guys on wow. that trip, and um, I was uh, unlucky enough. Um, to be sort of running the mortuary at the time. So uh, our job was to make sure that we showed them the proper respect and got them back home to their families, um, you know, um, safely. And yeah, uh, yeah so it, it kind of, that, that was a, uh, a pretty high pressure and um, sad time, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, how, how long were you over there for on that time? Uh, nine and a half months. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that time, for some reason, that they used to do six-month trips, okay. and then they made them into like nine-month trips. Nine months—that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty much a year was gone. Yeah. Um, and and I was posted to Brisbane at the time, so you do a bunch of workup training. So basically, got into Brisbane in like January, kick off straight off into um, workup training, and and um, and forced preparation they call it uh and then yeah deployed over there and it was mid-december by the time i got back all right it's a year yeah. in it it's a, yeah 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 and now, there was like it's wet it's not as bad for us as it is for the yanks they do like 12 to 18 months over there i, d I don't know how they handle that yeah. but i think part of it also is if you are prepared to go for 18 months you're mentally there yes um and you your your brain can handle it. Um, I think the the really the really um, tough one is when people get trips extended and they didn't expect them to be extended. Yeah. And it's like that just does people's heads in. I think. Yeah, that that's got to come into consideration. Like that's a. Oh man, I yeah, I can't even think of how how hard that'd be. You know, mm. it's um. Yeah. 2022 now, that's mm. 2010. You said you're in defence for around 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you must have been pretty fresh into it as well at that time. Yeah, so I joined as a fresh, young, just 19-year-old uh, in 2006. So okay, I was yep. about – I went through the Royal Military College um, mm -hmm. in Duntroon, Canberra, uh, and, and graduated as a lieutenant an officer and uh and had i think a couple of years in townsville and then came to uh brisbane and that was when i yeah deployed for the first time did you ever think you'd yeah. be deployed uh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, the um the world at that time was kind of still 
feeling the ripples of 9-11. Uh, and I know myself as a teenager when I saw what happened, I was like, wow, that's that's world-changing, you know. And um, even though, you know, I didn't have any friends or family or anything involved in that at the time, um, I, f- I felt like the justifications that were used at the time made sense. Yep. And then, you know, 2020 hindsight, they start to erode a little bit maybe. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it, it was um, it was a really interesting time um, to be part of the Defence Force and I don't think you ever... Sorry. I, I, I don't think many people at that time joined the Defence Force and didn't want to go overseas. Um, it's, and this is probably a, I don't know whether it's a good analogy or not, but you don't join a football team to sit on the bench. And so when you do um, sit on the bench, it feels like you're missing out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that I guess that's the best way I can kind of describe a lot of people's mentality and, and attitude towards it. Makes sense. And, you know, the time was so volatile. You yeah, know, in the world, like uh, obviously nine eleven was one thing, but there's just so much. There's chaos. Yeah, you know there really was. So yeah, and oh, now though, oh, um, if we ended up in a, a serious open conflict with Russia, and with over the Ukraine type stuff that's yeah. going on, that w- that would be a really different scenario, hugely different scenario. Um, Explain that to me. So. As in a technological saga or yeah. a... Okay, yeah. Yeah, Th- compared to Australia, yeah. Russia is huge, huge. Um, Ukraine is doing amazingly well yeah. to hold them off. Like uh, I don't think many people ever expected Ukraine to even last this long. Mm. Um, but what they're doing, the way that they're fighting against Russia and also a little bit of the support from the West has helped with the um, technology that's been sent over there. Yep. Um, you know, like some of the drones and things that they've sent over are just creating this really massive mismatch in capability that the Russians just can't keep up with. Wow. Um, and I think that's that's part of changing. Ch- it's changing the outcome of the war from what people thought. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Because quite literally, like it's uh, it's a like a bully mm. with with a lot of personnel taking on something like the, as the first day you look at it and go, wow, this is not going to end. This going to end very quickly. Yeah. But we're February to now, mm. and you know it's not stopping. Yeah, I think Johnny Depp and Amber Heard have taken over the news. <laughs> <laughs> weirdly enough. Yeah. But like, if you look in the proper news. It's not stopping. The Ukraine's really in there, hey? Yeah, yeah. And I'm following it closely, I guess, from a um, professional perspective because I still do work yep. um, in sort of drones in defence um, and keeping an eye on what's happening over there with those drones and that technology is actually very interesting to me because uh, it's actually going to change how warfare happens and and people say that quite a bit but we're actually seeing that now yep um and i think it'll it'll change a lot of uh how countries 
decide to defend themselves. Uh, I think there might be a move away from certain big conventional expensive stuff to these smaller, more effective uh, sort of technologies that yep. I, I guess also reduce the amount of people that have to be exposed to risk. Yep. Um, so, you know, if you can send a drone and you lose a drone, it might be 10 grand worth of drone or something like that. Yeah. I'm probably undershooting the numbers there, but um, versus a person's life, that's a hugely different equation. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's um, that's going to be an interesting outcome of Ukraine, and that's why I follow that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The drone side of things is um, you're obviously involved professionally. Mm. We won't delve too far into that, but as a hobbyist as well mm. as a consumer. Yeah. Um, you obviously pursue them a lot as well. You've got brand new Mavic 3. three yeah, love it. Poor speech then. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you've got it, like that as a consumer product. Yeah. Where does that sit in the world of uh, performance of drones? Is that is that getting better? Yes. Uh, so, and and there's there's a lot of open source stuff on drones actually and and yep. i think it's it's actually moving a lot quicker in that realm in the consumer industry it's 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 almost like the consumer industry is pushing along and developing faster than say the the military based industry yep. in certain respects um so you know since oh, i think it was almost 2000 and it was early 2000s that the Americans deployed like their Reaper drones um, right. and, you know, now you hear drone strike and you're like, okay, I get it. Um, but back then they didn't really talk about it and that yep. sort of stuff. It was really cutting edge. But now, fast forward, um, the military is looking at um, drones and they're, look, they're watch, watching very closely the consumer market because the consumer market's making really, really epic sort of growth or um, advances in autonomy um, and the the quality of the cameras on them. Like the quality of the camera on the Mavic 3 that I've got like that in Australian dollars is a $4,200 drone, like off the shelf. Um, the camera equivalent that that is carrying is like, I know like the Sony that I, we, we yeah. were talking about, like that it's got 4K it's, um, I think it's 10-bit colour depth. Like the the quality of the camera on that drone and it flies and it also can fly itself. Mm. So like the the bang for your buck that they're providing um, and that's the DJI, right? There's actually companies like Skydio um, and they actually develop specifically for military but they have consumer uh, drones. And so the uh, I think it's the Skydio 2. And that drone has better autonomy or, or autonomous flying and tracking than the DJI mm -hmm. um, and almost as good a camera. So um, I think what we'll actually see is a whole bunch of more companies coming out and trying yeah. to compete in that space. Um, I think DJI have made some really awesome ad advances but... Um, I think they might even they might be hitting that product maturity curve where they're sort of may not be advancing in certain areas as yeah. fast as other brands. So um, you might see a narrowing in on their specialty and that sort of stuff and yep. what they can do. But like I'm, I'm looking at um, 
drones like the Skydio X2. That's a military-specific drone, but uh, I believe you can still get it off the shelf, but it's it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, and it's it would be for a professional, but it has a thermal camera on it. Um, it has the autonomous flight and um, the... The, I think it can even operate in a GPS-denied environment. So it doesn't need a GPS to fly yeah. itself. Yep. Um, and so those sorts of things, like I'm looking at the quality of what you can do with that. And I was down actually in the Northern Rivers, you know, yourself yep. being from the Northern Rivers. Um, the recent floods, I was thinking to myself, geez, imagine 100 or 1,000 of those drones flying around actually finding people Yep. Uh, and dropping supplies to them or uh, doing those sorts of things. Like we're going to see so many more advances in the near future and I think looking at um, one of the biggest barriers being, I, I guess, regulation. Yep. Um, CASA are very forward-leaning at the moment but they've, they're forward-leaning in, in allowing drones but they need to make sure it's safe. So part of what we're doing is also working with CASA yep. and it really helps when you see other drone companies like Wing who are owned by Google and they're operating out of uh, Logan uh, and they're flying coffees to people. Mm, and mm. I, don't, I don't know whether you've seen that. I have, yeah. yeah. They work with Extraction actually, which is just around the corner. Just up I think. here? Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they were the first coffee provider. Yep. They don't actually, I don't think they fly from Extraction. They fly yep. from like a warehouse, right. but they have Extraction brewing on site. Wow. And they get a coffee to people in like five minutes. Have you had one? No, I haven't actually because yeah. I don't – I live on the north side. Yep. Uh, they don't fly that far. Some friends of ours did yeah. it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they live in the in the region. I think uh, Browns Plains and that was one of the areas that has it. Yep. And um, they're really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's free delivery. Well, it's free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the moment wow. um, I believe still mm. um, last time I checked yep. it was – Free delivery, so wow. it's actually uh, pretty good. the The cost, I think, of the coffee might be a little more than if you walked in the shop, but it's actually surprisingly wow. cheap. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, we, we've all grown up watching the Jetsons, and you know, watching all these things, and it's sort of getting there. Yeah, you, you know, like you're looking at these things, and you're like, wow, we're sort of getting there with some of these things. And just as um, the pandemic sort of started, you know, LSKD. Loose yeah, gear yep. industries, yep. they um they actually started doing parcel deliveries by drone for their clothing. Oh no way! Obviously another Logan business as well, yep. local business. Yeah, I don't know if they're still doing. It was just around. It got launched. They're building a new facility. There's so much action happening, and then obviously the world sort of changed a little bit mm. with things. But yeah, they were doing um yeah clothing or lifestyle clothing deliveries with drones. Wow, that's pretty damn cool. So because <laughs> yeah. they got a loyal base too, like they're built mm. around here. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's um. We're going to see some changes, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And it's just about um, like making sure that because uh, the same as roads, right? Yep. Like everybody needs to know how to drive on the road. Yes. So everybody who gets a drone needs to know how to fly without, you know, putting yep. people at risk and that sort of stuff. So it's that's about marrying up the two and making yep. sure that, you know, everyone's a responsible user. Um, and like we're looking at, we're looking at the, I think it's 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. Yep. And, uh, and there's been some subtle suggestions that there might be air taxis mm. um, by then. So um, 
that might be something you might may see in the yep. you know next ten years around Brisbane. Because wasn't there a trial supposed to happen with Victoria? Uh, Do you know about that? Good question. I don't yeah, know. I believe there was yeah. some sort of trial that they're looking at running in Melbourne, yep. where it was some sort of air taxi type service, like. I guess it was like a drone, like as a propelled device, like like a drone propulsion system. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't know if it ever went ahead or if it's going ahead or consumer, obviously oh, professional grade. I, you know what, actually? Do that, you know what it is? It just clicked. I think it was Uber. It was? Yeah. Um, Are they doing something? So apparently um, that was a marketing stunt by Uber and they, they got – they even – uh, got the Victorian government interested, and then they pulled the, um, the deal news. at the last minute. And yeah, because yeah, I looked at that, I'm like, big wow, shame. Really? Yeah, it looked pretty damn cool because mm. they're talking six minutes from the airport to um, CBD. Yep. Um, and as you've been to Melbourne, we've all been to Melbourne. Oh yeah, that would be a really nice facility <laughs> to have, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I guess when you're saying about it for Brisbane, 2032 possibility, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, we, we're going to talk about motorbikes and everything too. I'm just going to nerd, yeah. I'm going to nerd out a little bit more about drones for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, installation. You did an installation at Opera House. You're part of. A oh thing. yeah. So um, the Merrigan and Intel drone light show that we did. Yes. Over, yeah. So um, that that was a really really cool event actually, um, and to be honest, it was a bit of a shame because timing wise, it was. Uh, just as New South Wales and the rest of the country had opened up like properly right. and COVID numbers were pretty much running rampant. Yep. So a lot of people stayed away from the CBD and yep. didn't get to see it. But it's getting a lot more airtime on social media now because yep. people are actually like, oh, I, that, that was really pretty crazy. And, and so we, we got approached by a production company um, in December uh, last year, yep. and they sort of said, "Oh, you know, can you can you do this?" And we we're like, "Yeah, um, probably," but you know, we need to get all the approvals through CASA. We need to make sure everyone's qualified and yep. know how to operate the system. Um, so basically, the drones were from Intel, like the computer company, yep. uh, which not many people know, but they've built their own uh, drones that can fly basically in what people call a swarm. Mm-hmm. It's um, basically 500 drones controlled from a laptop by about two or three people. So... Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and they're all choreographed and they have, like, artistic directors and that sort of stuff. And basically it, it was... You, you talk about it and you go, oh, yeah, that's nice, but then you get into the detail and there's so much in it. Uh, and basically they... Our, our team, Sue, who's our chief remote pilot, she's... Um, really good at what she does and she managed to get CASA to approve it in like I think it was like four weeks uh, which is yeah pretty good especially in a place with uh, high population all those in the fact they're oh, big factors yeah so, yeah yep. um, they had to get a restricted airspace put in wow they had to stop the ferries over a certain period of time because all the ferries are coming into yep. um circular key at the time so they had to put like I think it was a half hour or 45 minute block on the ferries for those times yep. um, and then they create a restricted air zone so that like no helicopters or anything fly through it yep. uh, and it's like it was between the, the harbour bridge and the opera house and uh, we, I went and saw it in person and just seeing it in person is 
it's next level. They, they, yeah. it's, they're like 3D moving images uh, and, and they look real. Like it's, it's crazy. So um, wow. I think fireworks are forever ruined for me yeah. because now I've seen this. Well, how, how are fireworks? Like when yeah. you look at it, they haven't changed ever. No. Fireworks well, have yeah. pretty much been the same sort of – they're awesome. They but, are. Um, they, it's been the same thing forever. Yeah, you know, that hasn't yep. really modified too much. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's going to be going to be a change, and mm. that, I guess that's done with a certain amount of AI because you can't individually control five hundred drones. No, I guess so. You've no. got to have like a a path that they all lead by or follow by. I'm guessing. Yeah, they use a bit of that and a bit of um, uh, kind of each other, so they know uh. they do their position relative to each other as yep. well as their position on a GPS um, piece. So uh, it's basically um, the GPS is actually down to like 10 centimetres accuracy, I think, wow. or even, maybe even less. But um, you still um, you still see them slightly drift, but like high wind, rain, like our, our guys flew in they, – they pushed the boundaries. They flew – five shows over five nights Um, and each night was a challenge with the wind at the time uh, and and they still managed to pull it off perfectly. So it was was pretty interesting um, sort of test as well with that stuff in in higher winds. Yeah. Pretty interesting. I've got one more question about this and we'll move move forward. I won't keep pressing you about this stuff. But is it an interesting thing that – the biggest consumer drone in the world being a DJI comes from where it comes from. Is that a challenge as in military-wise over time maybe? I think um, there has been um, questions asked in the last five years or so about security and I guess when you're operating a Chinese-made drone. Yeah. and it's potentially taking pictures of military staff and it might be uh, linked to a cloud database, which we can't verify where that is. That was questions that got asked. Uh, As far as I'm aware, people answered them sufficiently to the point where they were okay still using them. And so the Australian military still does use DJI um, and as does the US military, even though... The US Department of Defence did release like a thing saying you kind of shouldn't um, years ago and then they rescinded it. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, to be honest, it's a question that people are still asking and don't really know the exact answer to. Wow. Um, but uh, we, I won't say the West can't match what they do. The West in terms of US or yep. another country could match what they do technologically, but uh, we we don't have the production facilities to make thousands, yeah. and also DJI have um, you know as a brand grown globally and done really good things. So their brand is known for doing good stuff with drones, yeah. right? So that that would be a very hard sort of market to break into that mm. I, I would almost hazard a guess that they own about 80 to 90 percent of the drone market yeah. across the world uh, so when you think of drone too it's it's like action cameras what do you think of with an action camera it's a gopro mm. there's other action cameras yep. but when you think of a drone now you just think of a dji you don't even it, it's a dji it's not even 
doesn't even go. There's other good products, but mm. same with action camera. And what's the first thing that comes to your head? Oh, it's a, it's a GoPro. Yeah, they, they own that space, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Growing yeah. up in the Northern Rivers, mate. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll move on from that. What was it like? Uh, oh, to be honest, I lived a pretty lucky life. Yep. We um we actually used to live in Lennox Head, and I was um, just near a beach called Boulders Beach, and I would run across some paddocks in the morning before school, go for a surf. Um, even one morning there was like dolphins in there. The sun's rising, and I was just like, this is awesome and uh and so then i'd come home have some brekkie and go to school like that that was pretty good life um (laughs) and i probably didn't appreciate it as much until i went and joined the army and they sent me to the places that weren't so nice yeah yeah that's yeah everyone describes it well look who look how many people live there now it's Mm. it's one of the best places in australia that whole region oh yeah yeah and unfortunately there's a bit of a housing crisis around there but i think that's mostly because it's such a desirable place to live um and you know the the floods that happened recently are absolutely devastating like i went to lismore and helped out and oh man the the level of destruction the the streets were equivalent to some that I drove down in like Afghanistan but to be honest some streets in Afghanistan were much better than what I saw in Lismore like the the amount of destruction there there was just like two-story high piles of just people's lives yeah. um, either side of the road you're kind of like weaving between piles of stuff and and I just I feel for the people down there and, and that's why I kind, of, I kind of took some time off work and went down and tried to help yeah. out just because um, it seemed the right thing to do. Yeah, it's it's and, and you touched on the, the rubbish part and then the week later it come back again oh. washed all the rubbish away that yeah. was ready for pick-up and, oh, it's horrendous, you know. Um, we, we've got, we've got a, uh, a really good family friend and I think I might mm. have said this to you but he, he's lived there his whole life as, mm. as have my family in and off on and off for a long time and um the 74 floods is the flood everyone talks about in the region of lismore yeah and he built it he's a builder he built his house a couple of meters so it's like a four-story house now he's near the mcdonald's in town right built his house a couple of meters higher the two middle stories are basically blank stories because bottom you can store your vehicles have you know chook pen and whatnot mm. middle two don't put your personal belongings in there the tops where you live you just about need an oxygen mask to get to the top like it oh is, yeah it's a high place you know yeah he got rescued off his roof yeah wow. and like it was a couple of meters above the height that of mcdonald's water. is up high too. it's a high one it's right? on like it flooded three meter four meter stilts or yeah. something yeah and it went through there like it's not going to be open for ages I, I believe and same with the shopping center the square just up the road yeah um y- you can't fathom it till you go yeah yeah yep. Yeah, and even I had uh, friends and family in Ballina mm. and some of those people aren't going to get back in their houses for a while just because, and this is the thing about floods is if the water even touches your your gyp rock, you've yeah. pretty much got to rip all the gyp rock off the walls because there could be black mould inside there yep. and that will poison you very quickly. So yep. they're out of their houses for months and like my, my mum's even got a friend staying for six months basically because... Yep her house get has to get ripped apart and rebuilt from the inside out. Is this the most you've ever heard the term of mould being thrown around? Oh. I, for, for me it yeah. isn't and I think what it's coming from too because like, you know, 
you and I both got friends, family down there, mm. um, the moisture that's hung around. Oh, yeah. We haven't had the sunlight to be able to dry things out. Like mm. I got some friends that we're talking to them at the race meeting on the weekend and yep. they, uh, they're out towards where the big prawn was. Yep, yep. West Ballina. And um, there's still water in the house. Like, yeah. you know, uh, we're talking March to now, but there's still water in there. They haven't even got a chance to yep. to get in and rip it apart and do the things they need to do. Yeah. And like we were incredibly lucky in Brisbane where we were. Yep. We were fine. Um but I've even noticed none of my doors close because yeah. they're all swollen from just the, the amount of humidity in the air yep. and um, and moisture. It's just everywhere. Yep. And I actually um, had some motorbike gloves in the garage and I went down and had a look at them a week later and they were just full of mould. Really? Yeah. Just yeah, about to perish. Yeah. You know, they get to that sort of point. So, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a crazy – like we haven't had an autumn. That's, that's yeah. one of the things. Yep. Like I, uh, I was in Lithgow last week. And I took a photo, like there was, you know, autumn trees and we haven't had an autumn up here. It's been no. humid, rain, like it's just not, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, strange, strange times, mate. So, yeah, it's not good for riding bikes, that's for sure. No. We're looking at what next weekend. Well, we just had DGR cancelled last weekend, Distinguished Gentlemen's Ride. Yes. Yep. Um, and then we've got, uh, well, sorry, not cancelled, postponed. Dust Hustle. Um, and Dust Hustle coming up this weekend has been postponed, which yep. is a real shame because um, uh, we look forward to that event every year. It's the best. Yeah, it is the best. And yeah. one thing I like I flicked to in a message straight away in the team, I was like I really appreciated obviously the notice too. Mm. Like they got the notice out to people like really, really early and, you know, the forecast was for rain obviously this week. hasn't been as bad as last week but what they've had out there, like you'd be crazy to even think about trying to put it on it just wouldn't yeah. be wouldn't be the fun event that everyone's used to I yeah think, and destroy the facility yeah and i think poor mm. old qmp have copped it with a lot yeah. of that rain um that's so they've got, in two days yeah like <laughs> they've got a lot of work ahead yeah um you know even 20 mil of rain will do you some trouble on a, yep. on a motocross park so yeah strange times mm, yeah i'm looking forward to a bit of sunshine and maybe getting out on the bike a bit more yeah definitely yeah, we'll, yeah we'll have to try and we'll have to try and g that up as we're yeah. talking about maybe this weekend yeah um tell me about your old man building that bsa that was Ooh, obviously yeah, is, that. is that something that sparked an interest at the start in bikes or you never even realized it at the time or did you know it or what yeah he he always told me about it and he always told me the story about how he he built it himself i actually Um, I got a, sorry, I just thought about dad. Um, I got a few photos when he passed away of him with his bike. And I was like, geez, he's so cool. I wish I could be that cool. <laughs> <laughs> At like 16, mm -hmm. he's just like, I think he was 16. He rebuilt his own BSA from pretty much a pile of, pile of nothing because they didn't have a whole lot growing up. Yep. And um, he worked really hard to make sure that we did. Um, and he basically told me this story that he couldn't afford a battery for it because he needed to replace a battery. And so he, he, he spoke to his dad uh, and, and his dad sort of said, yeah, I'll buy the battery for you, but I get first ride. And he was like, oh, like, okay, okay, yeah, I suppose so. Yep. And, um, and so he's, he's like worked away at this bike for like 12 months, I think, finally got it running um, well, wasn't running, got the, got to the point he got, could, needed the battery, got the battery and, um, 
and got it running and his old man's like, go on, mate. And he's like, oh, I thought you won a first ride. He's like, no, I was just messing with you. So he got, it, got his first ride and he always told me about that as a memory that stuck in his mind and yep. um, he really enjoyed it. And I actually, I can't remember what happened to the bike. I, I, because I was like, oh, geez, it would have been cool if you kept it. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, many years go go on, and you move houses and all, all that sort of stuff. So it's not like you can keep something like that. But yep. um, yeah, I, I sort of it was probably just his interest in tinkering that really, really. Uh, stuck with me and I think also translated between bikes and cars and boats and uh, he even actually uh, built some high-performance racing aircraft at one stage. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it, I've got some photos of that that he was just like so proud of what he'd done. He, he um, built, it's like one of the old school rotary engines for aircraft where yep. all the cylinders are around the outside. Yeah, nice. And and they had like a test bed where they had a truck that they'd mounted on and then they'd test the engine. And and he said he'd gone through and like meticulously balanced this engine so much that you basically spun the prop and he thought that it didn't the engine didn't have any compression. Wow. Um, but it was just so perfectly balanced yep. that it just was just just working perfectly um so yeah he was just um he was pretty stoked with that so yeah that that stuck with me and i was i was always um sitting on his toolbox handing him probably the wrong spanner and the yep. wrong uh, phillips head <laughs> instead of a flathead but yep. you know that they're the lessons aren't they you learn those very early on and it's actually interesting when you come to like somewhere like we've built with skinnies and um I, don't, I didn't realise how much I knew but also how much I don't know. Mm. Uh, when, you, when you sit and talk to a mechanic about, you know, your bike uh, and they've got 15, 20 years' worth of spanner time, geez, like the, they've probably forgotten more than I ever knew about bikes, you yep. know. So it's, um, it's a really I, – I love being part of it because I'm learning as well but, you know, someone – coming into bikes, brand new, fresh, yeah. um, probably never picked up a spanner. Some Most of the time never picked up a spanner in their lives and they want to learn about this thing and they get some sort of sense of achievement yep. out of it, which I do too, so I can understand that and I, I want to bring them along on that journey. Not, I think um, part of what initially sort of was a little bit intimidating even as a guy coming into this motorcycling sort of area as an adult I felt like I you know I was just a bit of a noob didn't know what I was doing yep. um and there's all these big tough bikey kind of people mm -hmm. um and yeah it was sort of hard to break into I suppose find your feet sort of deal yep. yeah yeah and a bit intimidating um so like I I try and make sure that at Skinny's we're super welcoming and everyone who comes through the door, I try and make sure I shake their hand and make them feel welcome because it's that first 30 seconds where they'll decide whether this is a welcoming place or not and I yep. want people to feel like they can take that first step. Like that's often, you know, everybody says it's first steps the hardest, right? So, yep. yeah, that's that's what I want to do and I want to grow the motorcycling community. So, it's a, yeah. It's an intriguing thing like... Um 
like you said, you, you probably came into bikes more as an adult. Mm. I, I came in like I've done it a long, long, long time, I guess. Yeah. I so I don't I have that. the same feel of of that. Yeah. Um, so we come from two total different paths. But what I want to see is more people getting into riding. Mm. And there's got to be a door open for those people to get into riding. And uh, I think that's a really nice door to have open, hey, because mm. working on them, man, you, it's frustrating. Yeah. Like it's real frustrating. But you do get a sense of achievement if you do something right. Yeah. You don't break a bolt off or you, you know, like we've all done that stuff too. So mm. there's got to be, you've got to have your, your wins along the way as yep. well as riding it, you know, and the wind and working on it. So Yeah, that's actually a really good point because I suppose having owned a bit of a basket case bike early on, yep. I was spending a lot more time swinging spanners on it than I was riding. Mm. So actually getting out and riding in the last couple of years because now I've got the a newer bike that I can literally, you know, throw yep. a leg over and go down the road. Yep. Um, that that's changed a lot of what I do in bikes as well. And I think part of what we're also finding out with skinnies is people come along and they might not necessarily want to even do uh, the whole learning about how their bike works, all that yep. sort of stuff. They might only want to know it in, in like a little bit of detail, but they're just they're happy to pay someone to do it because they probably don't have the time. And that's fair enough. The other part that we're finding is the social side of it where people just want to come along and they have a, you know, a beer or a Coke or whatever they want to drink um, from the members' fridge and just come and chat to people yep. about bikes. And then a couple of I, – I re really like it when I see – people who didn't know each other, they come to the garage, they meet, they start chatting and then a couple of weeks later they're like, oh, we're going on a quick ride um, down here or we're going to – a couple of the guys with the, with the T7s that I mentioned earlier, they, they were just like, oh, we're just going to go down and um, go for a ride uh, out off the gantry off Mount Me, yep. go for a camp, have a bit of fun. And I was like, oh, awesome, that sounds great. I actually had a bit of FOMO because I had to do some stuff that weekend. But, yep. um, you know, I, I love seeing people come together and have like start learning that sort of stuff as well yep. and, and growing and, and writing more um, because I think the more you do it, the more, you know, it becomes part of your life and you understand it and um, – also, I think when people come into writing as beginners, if they don't have maybe the right people to ride with or the right people to guide them in writing, yep. it can be a pretty dangerous time mm. uh, and they can make some decisions which can ultimately be pretty bad for them. Um, but I, I guess what we're trying to do is make that, you know, be good, good role models where we can, make sure people are wearing yep. safe gear, make sure people are making the right decisions on the road and understand the effect of, you yep. know, um, being safe on the road or, you know, the uh, other side of that, being unsafe on the road, like pretty serious consequences on a bike. Yep. Um, you, you don't have anything around you to stop you. Um, so, you know, your gear is basically all you've got. Uh, yep. And that's not much. <laughs> no, it's not really. No. You know, when you look at it, it's good gear. Yeah. If you've got the right gear. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. And being a new person into bikes is such mm. an influenced time. Like, yeah. Um, when I first got a road bike, I remember getting it and, you know, I was 17, 18. 
at that time you could get a 750 or 1,000 or whatever. Yeah. So I had to get a 750 or 1,000. Mm-hmm. There's no, there no correlation of going to get something else. But it, like you're such an influenced time. Someone tells you, oh, you should probably maybe look at doing this. So yeah. that was a cool wheel stand. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my ego that just got a good hit there. Let's yeah. have a go. Yeah. Um, it, it's a position of influence getting that first bike on the road or – and, and that's probably what you're, you're dealing more with people getting road bikes too within skinnies, I'm guessing, than dirt bikes or? Oh, we actually it, have a huge mix. Bit of like, mix, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've got, we've got um, <clears throat> it's almost, I reckon, probably a 50-50 split with dirt bikes and road bikes. Like and, registered dirt bikes or? Un- oh, both. Yeah, cool. Yeah, okay, so yeah. there's a lot of people, the adventure industry is big. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, you would have seen like obviously – BMW are killing it with their GS models yep. over the last 10 years or so. Um, Harley have just got um, the, the Pan, Pan Am. Am. Yep. And, uh, and that that is obviously showing a market, right? And yep. that, that's actually um, an interesting change and shift in Harley's uh, sort of target market, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and obviously it's a big enough market that they – think it's it's worth investing in yep. building an entire bike for big, big cost yeah to develop something isn't it huge yeah yeah um and and so i think that is a pretty big industry and that makes up a fair chunk of people at skinnies yep uh and also skinny uh is he's ridden both you know on-road bikes and and off-road bikes as mechanic he's super talented like the amount of stuff he knows is ridiculous, but um, he also, for fun, rides dirt bikes. So um, he knows quite a lot, especially like your DRZs yep. uh, and that sort of stuff. So um, he's he's very knowledgeable on those, and I think that translates into people saying, "Oh well, he's good at that. Then maybe I'll bring my bike in." And even his, you know, traditional mechanical customers, he's got. I see a lot of DRZs, KDMs, Huskies, yep. all that sort of stuff, um, off-road bikes there. Um, but then, you know, we see a couple of people riding track bikes. They actually bring their track bikes in yep. to skinnies and one of the guys, Isaac, he had a um, Diavel, Ducati Diavel, oh, yeah. and he rode it off on the track. Uh, and so – oh, actually, I don't think he – no, sorry – he, he wrote the Diablo off on the road. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to buy a Ninja track bike. Yep. Uh, and then he wrote the Ninja track bike off. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. And um, he's spent oh, a couple of months now just rebuilding the thing from scratch at Skinny's. Comes yep. in on a Saturday, works on it, and he's just he's built rebuilt the whole thing from scratch. Um, and it's, to be honest, he's getting really good value out of his membership because he's rebuilding an entire bike himself, yep. basically. Doesn't have to pay the, you know, it's probably like 100 hours worth of mechanic time or something ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. What we haven't done, mm. and, and we should really preface this a bit, mm. give us the pitch of skinnies. We haven't really spoken about what skinnies is Ooh. apart from skinny and as a mechanic. And yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's a social garage and things yep. like that. But tell me, tell me more about what it actually is and what yeah. what it came from. <clears throat> All right, I'll start at the start, I suppose, because I I when I started getting into bikes, I made some really good friends like Denny and Curly and uh, I don't know whether you know Curly. Everybody seems to know Curly, yep. um, and he's such a good bloke and he knows heaps about bikes too. 
Uh, and so we always kind of chatted and went to events like Dust Hustle together and um, made more friends and we were actually um, rebuilding a little um, CT-110 but I think it has a, a pit bike motor in it, a little posty with oh, yeah. a pit bike motor in it and, uh, and for Dust Hustle uh, a couple of years ago and we, Curly had this mate skinny and he brought us into the workshop and we managed to get the bike in and work on it. Um, and so Skinny was, at the time, he was in um, Fortitude Valley just in School Street there and he had this quite small workshop that was about to be demolished basically. So he had a yep. six-month lease on it uh, and he needed to move into something bigger. We just got chatting about that and we were like, how good is it you know, just having a couple of mates, working on a bike, having a chat, just it feels good good for the soul a little bit, I think, um, and just enjoying yourselves around, you know, kind of some an activity like building a bike together. Yep. So we, we sort of got chatting more about that and we'd, we'd spoken about other um, businesses that we'd seen. So we're, we're not obviously the first people that have done it. Um, there's... Rising Sun in Sydney, yep. uh, and then uh, Custom Commune in Melbourne, and and so we saw what they'd done, and they've kind of built quite different businesses. Whereas where like Rising Sun, being they're in Newtown, they've 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 got a restaurant there. Um, they make the world's best ramen. I don't know whether you've ever heard that, but no. like, if you ever go to Sydney, yep. stop in at Rising Sun and get some ramen there. It is top notch. Um, Anyway, and they've got a workshop underneath. Yep. So the the kind of the biggest difficulty is the rent, um, having a space big enough to run a workshop out of yep. and, and cover the rent. Um, so I guess what we sort of looked at the models of what they'd done um, and there was even actually a community garage in Brisbane back in I think it was like 2015 maybe, Um and I think it was just unfortunately the timing wasn't there for the community to be big enough to support it. Yep. Um, and so unfortunately it, it sort of they pulled the pin and I know the owners, um, they I think just had their own things that they wanted to go off and do. So um, it, didn't, it hadn't worked in Brisbane before. So we were like, all right, well, we need to make sure this is going to be something sustainable that, isn't just going to show up and disappear in two years. Yep. Um, and we're at 18 months now, so hopefully we make another six months. Yep. We'll see. Um, but that, that first tough two years, eh? Oh, really tough. Yep. And and we said, all right, you know, we need to find somewhere big enough, relatively central enough too, so that people can come from all over Brisbane. It's yep. not just a, you know, north side or south side or whatever. Uh, and, and we have people from out at Ipswich coming in yeah. um, because we we didn't really realise that how much people wanted something like this uh, and, and it's a bit of the build it and they'll come sort of thing but yeah. uh, we, we found this place and we managed to get it in Bowen Hills, really nice spot. It's got a, a great sort of space and we have even like a little parking alleyway right down the side um, and... It was pretty much a blank canvas too and with really high roofs. Yep. So we figured out 
well, we can double the amount of space we've got here by just putting in a mezzanine floor. And we we had a look at what that was going to cost and we were like, oh, geez, that's going to be a bit of a, yep. bit of a hit um, straight up. So we managed to... Um, and we managed to get a builder who's a mate of Skinny's and so we were basically the labour and then the builder was doing all the official sign-offs and yep. all that sort of stuff. So we were in for like four months solid of nights and weekends and even over Christmas um, making that place uh, what it is. So we were like lifting all the steel beams, yep. uh, welding the... Uh, bench tops that we've got in there uh, and we were lucky to have some mates who were handy sparkies and uh, one of the guys is really handy with um, sheet metal he's a sheet metal worker he did the sheet metal on the bench tops oh, wow. so we managed to kind of like scrounge together this place and yep. build it and start to make it a bit of a home and like we've got really um really good members even that helped us out with furnishings and stuff like Jock. Uh, he actually um, runs Kelpie Customs, which is does motorbike parts and that sort of stuff and, and really nice leather gear. And he just went out one weekend and grabbed a bunch of furniture and just went, here you go. And we're like, wow. oh, thanks, mate. So, you know, the, the yep. it, it comes together in all those little pieces. Uh, and, and so... You know, even every weekend we're there now, we're still doing, chipping away, trying to make the place better. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's really been from the ground up. But um, that was probably the world's worst pitch because it was super long. But I, I suppose just to give you like a really short elevator pitch style, we're just a community garage with space, tools, knowledge and people to make to, to give people the opportunity to build their own project bike or um, just learn new skills or be social and, and do the social side of bikes. So going on rides, going to events uh, and that sort of stuff. So we, we've actually, we're talking to a couple of um, people at the moment and we're even looking at running a motorbike movie premiere at the shop. Yep. Um, so Garage Films, if you've heard of those guys, yep. have reached out to us and, and they want to use it because it's a workshop space and and it's actually, you know, a proper workshop space, For not sure. just a theatre that's dressed up to look like a yep. workshop space. So um, we're really looking forward to doing events like that because it's all interlinked around bikes and it's all about bringing people in, yep. you know, getting the community to talk to each other and you know there can it can be clicky at times um in the motorcycle community so i think we're very open in making sure that every person that joins the garage knows that we accept everybody no matter what bike they ride who they are whatever yep. everybody's welcome and i think if i was just to distill it down to that that's the one thing that people seem to really like about skinnies is that anybody's welcome yep. and and as long as you ride a bike and even if you don't yeah bring your car yeah yeah it's interesting i went obviously to the uh, market day yeah that was my first time obviously to it yeah. to the store and man there's a crowd yeah we a lot had of people coming through um my best guess was about 250 to 300 people that day which wow. was Pretty good by our standards. Especially on the day. Yeah. It was yeah. another day like we have at the moment outside and yeah, it was good. Very, yeah. very good. Thanks. So. Yeah. We, we were pretty lucky and 
we we actually had a lot a lot of work done by we've got a committee yeah right and and they're basically just uh volunteering their time because they believe in the garage and i love that but it it's awesome that people want to donate their time to trying to make you know the garage better and grow and that sort of stuff so the amount of work that they did to pull that off i think is what showed when you you know when, when you came along and saw how many people were yep. there yeah it was it was really good for the garage and and we're going to try and run that every once a quarter i think okay um I think everybody needs a little bit of a rest at the moment, though, so we're pushing the next one back to the later half of the year. Yeah, good idea. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because we also don't want it to get rained out as well, and there's a lot of motorbike events yep. already piled into this part of the year. So, yep. yeah, we're just trying to make it a weekend that people will be like, oh, I've got a free weekend and there's this really awesome event on, I'll come along. Let's and, go in there. Yeah, yeah. How does it grow further? What, what do you see? Um, I think... We, we get a lot of interest in workshops uh, and and learning skills. Mm. So, you know, we run day to day. A member can come in and book a hoist and work on their bike for four hours or if it's a Saturday, eight hours or whatever. Um, but we've got welders, we've got a lathe, we've got all these really awesome tools and machinery that takes time for people to get good at um and also if you're just practicing on your own it takes you a lot longer than if say you've got a professional teaching you and and we're lucky that we've got friends like kip and um and those sorts of guys um like keely who does um works here yeah actually he's downstairs here today oh is he yeah well he was yesterday i'm sure he's here today yeah yeah keely pritchard Pritchard, obviously yeah yeah. he's a we've got some really talented fabricators who have these skills and they love teaching people and so keely came and did a really quick um how to basically um do your own stainless exhaust on a on a bike and oh it was it was impressive watching him work like Mm. he he um tacked up a, a motorbike exhaust in probably an hour and a half two hours i reckon and uh and he made it look easy yeah uh, even when uh, the uh, the actual the foot peg was not on the bike, and he realised after he'd already um, ticked oh, something up, yep. so um, that was a bit of a curveball for him that he had to like cut it back off and like redo it, redo yep. the angle of the whole bottom part of the exhaust. Managed to smash it out, and the man is just good at what he does. He's a master. Oh, and then you know to the other sort of talented people like Kip that we've got and he does Porsche bodies as his daily job. Uh, and he's over at um, McKernan Restoration. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and he is an absolute jet when it comes to shaping metal. That man is a genius. Yep. And, and so we've got people like that and they are keen to give their time to teach people these crafts that are probably, you know, they're, they're starting, there's not many people these days that can do that sort of stuff so it's it's keeping alive some of those skills hopefully um but also people are keen to learn that and do it on their own bike so we're we're structuring some sort of um anything from basic maintenance on how to keep your bike on the road um through to welding through to um 
maybe shaping um, a side cover or a fender or something like that for your bike all the way up to if you really want to make your own fuel tank um, so yeah for, for those that would you like to have a go at that I would do a squarish fuel tank I don't know about rounded I am uh, I'm better with making the machines do the work for me yeah, bring some automation into <laughs> yeah. the workshop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it, it, it's a dream. Yeah, that that, that they're the skills that are yeah they're they're like um, I don't know they're hard to come by you know yeah. hard to come by trades mm. you know so interesting to see how it goes over yeah. the next few years. So where where are you at with uh, obviously goals and where you're at to now? Like eighteen months in, where, where are you at? So we've got about eighty five members at yep. the moment. My goal for Skinnies is to get to 110. Mm. Uh, 110 members and that's a mix because there's three different membership levels. You've got like your social yep. and we kind of say that's here for the beer and the chat um, because we've got luckily Curly from Young Henry's and Kempy, they keep the beer, uh, yep. the beer, they keep the fridge full of beer uh, and... Uh, and also soft drinks and yep. non-alcoholic beer if that's uh, what you're interested in. Uh, and then um, we've got the servicing membership, which is kind of people who want to do servicing level work on their bikes. So chain lubes, you can do change your tyres, um, you can, you know, just basically pull pieces off your bike, put the pieces back yep. on, um, that sort of work. And then we've got fabrication. So fabrication is... Uh, the people who are like, yep, I want to shape the guards, I want to I cut the back subframe and weld this and do that and get something engineered. Yep. And, you know, we've had some people build some pretty impressive stuff. Like um, one of the guys built a sidecar for a DRZ and and completely legal. Like he did it yep. all the proper way and he, he rode that out to Cameron's Corner up to the Cape and back and it was fine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So... Like those sort of wacky contraptions, like I love seeing people do yep. that and take it from what's in their head onto something that actually works. I love that. Yes. And and so um, that's what I really love about the garage and, and what people can do. What's been a good day in the garage? What's been mm-hmm. – that's a proud day to see something like that achieve, you know, from, from thought process, creative idea to going out to there and back. What other what other things have been a good day? Marketplace is um, a damn good day, obviously. Yeah, That's a yeah, proud yeah. Thing. The moto market was um, great to see how many people came. Yeah, yeah. Book them, they'll come. Yep. you know that sort of deal. Yeah. What other things have been those days where you go, we, we've actually built something here? Um, so Mind Moto was uh, a really really good uh, example of that, and yep. um, it wasn't necessarily it w- it was really good while the program's running, but the the time that I felt it the most personally yep. was when I, I actually got to interview one of the participants afterwards mm. and some of the stuff that he said, um, you know, he, I, I guess I should just pedal back a bit. but Can Tell us what that actually is. Yeah. yeah. So Mind Moto is a DGR um, initiative or DGR funded initiative uh, and the actual concept for Mind Moto was done by Jeff Goff, and he's the guy. He's like the the loveliest guy, and he's been running the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride since 
its beginning in Brisbane, um, nine years, I think. This was his first year that he's sort of taken a step back, but he's still involved. Yep. Um, but he uh, has a psychological kind of background in his work and that sort of stuff. So he managed to come up with this concept where it's kind of, it's similar, it really kind of is similar to what Skinny's is about. And it's uh, using motorbikes as a tool to help people uh, through problems or understand problems or provide context to, uh, I guess, using analogies to motorbikes and bringing those across to help them understand how the mind works. Um, and and so the easiest way to kind of explain that is like shock absorbers. And and so Jeff had like a 12-week program and each each week was about a different topic. Mm-hmm. One of those topics and the easiest to explain in a short period of time is shock absorbers. So, you know, you've got um, your suspension on a bike. If that's not set up right, it makes a world of difference. Uh, and especially like let's say off-road when you're, when you're taking on heaps of bumps, you need softer suspension, things to absorb those bumps. And that is the same in life. Mm-hmm. When you experience these shocks in life, you need to absorb those somehow. So if you are just kind of super hard, you know, stiff as a board, uh, think you can handle everything on your own, um, odds are at some point you're going to get hit with a bump that you're not going to be ready for. And if you haven't got those built-in shock absorbers, those tools in life, then it's probably going to send you for six. So the idea of uh, Mind Moto is to give people those skills and try and use like analogies like that that make sense to them. Um, Another one was carbies. You know, you're constantly, let's say you've got... uh, an old Honda, right, and it's got four carbies mm-hmm. and you're tuning, you're constantly, you know, you get one carby right and then you, the other three are out of whack. Yep. So you've got to work through and just can constantly tweak. Yep. And and um, basically that's kind of what you've got to do with a lot of your mental state. You've got to constantly tweak to stay at a high-performing level yep. or even just a normal performing level. Um, and I think people are starting to understand that, but they, they, they there's a lot of people talking about it, yep. but I don't think there's a lot of people who are absorbing just exactly what that means. That kind of means that um, working on your mental health is you should be doing it just as often as you go to the gym and work on your physical health. Yep. So that's kind of part of what we were trying to reach out and get people just through the door um, to talk about. And that's what Mind Moto was. And it was targeted at a specific age bracket of men. Um, and that's that's for a number of reasons. But one of them was that they're an, an identified at-risk category, uh, especially in motorcyclists. So the I think it, it's, it's just about upbringing and environment and all that sort of stuff um, that they are the most at risk of um, taking their own lives mm-hmm. or um, being involved in a serious accident on a motorbike that they lose their life. And it's an unfortunate fact that's backed up by the data. So the the intent was to focus in on that group for this Mind Moto um, what was that group? activity. What's, what's the age? Uh, I think it was... 
Uh, oh, Roughly? Maybe th- mid-30s to late-40s. Okay. Well, it it might have been even 39 to 49 maybe. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in that middle, middle age, yeah. I guess you say. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and it, it wasn't exactly who you'd straight away assume. Like a lot of people are probably like, oh, 20-year-olds that get on a bike. And, it, and it's actually not that mm. um, because it's not that the stats also aren't just bikes. They're, they're also men in general. Um, and so the idea was that at least we could try and narrow in on that group and start to make a difference. And from the feedback that we got, there were there was a lot of a lot of blokes that provided us amazing feedback. But the best feedback I got was from this one bloke, and he just sort of said, you know, I, the difference my wife has noticed in me from the start to the finish is astounding. Like he couldn't believe that going to a workshop on a Tuesday night and listening about these things would change his life. But he's, he dead set swore to me it's changed his life. And I I took heaps of pride in being mm. one small part of that. I think the, the, um, the program that Jeff has made is that like the credit has to go to Jeff here. He's made an unreal program and the fact that they felt comfortable coming into a workshop, he they sort of expressed that, you know, going into a doctor's office is really clinical and it's pretty intimidating yep. for for a bloke, um, for anyone really because uh, if you're in there and you think, oh, geez, what's going to happen now? But you go into a workshop and you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of familiar. You sit down, you, you know, like, have a chat to some people about bikes yep. and then the the sort of um, teaching starts and, and they're talking about motorbikes and then at the tail end of that they, they kind of nicely sort of segue into psychological tools and all that sort of stuff. So that program is unreal and I'm really hoping that that continues because uh, the, the change that it made in the 30 or so people's lives that, that attended was... Yep. You know, from the feedback we got was, yeah, really, really good. That's a huge moment for the shop. Huge, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know, like it's not like grandiose or anything like that. I think some of the best wins that you get out of life are small but um, really important. Yeah, so that that's why I – and that that's one reason I sort of – really wanted to kick off Skinny's Garage um, because I, in 2018, I lost a really good friend of mine um, and that affected me hugely. And and without some of the people in my life, like my really supportive partner um, and friends, I, I would have really struggled through that. And I, I already, I did struggle, but I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that led me to a really, really dark place. Yep. Like, it, yeah, so that I guess what I wanted to do was try and for people who might not have that, provide that um, a, as well. Even if it's literally just you're like, oh, I need to get out and clear my head and maybe stop the cycle of thoughts that I'm having, an excuse to come down and have a chat and, you know, talk about bikes and clear your yep. head, that sort of stuff because you know, some alternatives that I see people talk about maybe going off and going on their bike and just being a bit reckless. I think that's probably the worst thing you could do, Mm. Um, especially if you're distracted and 
frustrated or angry or sad, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, there's a level of, I guess, catharsis when you can just focus on the road and focus on what you're doing and do that. But if you're distracted, it's the wrong thing for you. So I guess that's part of what we wanted with people to be able to come to Skinny's and yep. have another option. I think judging by email address you sent me the other day, we're, mm. we're pretty close in age within a couple of years. Yep. The last digits of the birth date, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're three years apart in birth dates. And yep. I don't know about your relationship with your, with your dad that you had and yep. where you grew up. But I look at I look at my, my dad, right, mm. <clears throat> where, where we grew up in Ballina. Yep. Um, and, and I look at my generation. It's There's two total different things. And I, I know I speak to... A um, couple of guys around the industry, bike industry and stuff as well. And uh, I always remember as a kid, um, dad going over to the bike shop mm. Friday night, and I was there as well. We we're building race bikes, and the people were getting ready to race at the own the store. And that was Seaside Motorcycles in Ballina. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I lived next door to that shop. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. which was a great place to, as a motorcyclist to grow up next door to a shop. Um, but I, I, I look at things like that. And I look at my own network of people and we don't do that through the week, mm. none of us. Um, so like I look at dad, dad would always be over there on a Friday afternoon or whatever and helping guys with their bike builds, loading them up into the trailer with the mates mm. and having that outlet. There was drinks. There was all the things that, especially in the 80s and 90s, that was – there was a party as well, I guess, in a way. Yeah. But at the same time, there was obviously something to it. Mm. Worked hard forever, but there was a Friday where you could do that and all the kids were around and we are all doing our own thing. But my group of uh, age group, which is your group of age group, without things like what you're doing there, we don't do it. We go home. Yep. We lock the door with our families, which is which is a great thing. Everyone needs to do that too, but there's got to be a me time. Yeah. It's Alex. selfish to say... That well, that's what it's turned into. People saying it's selfish to say, mm. but sometimes you got to be selfish, and I think that's it's not even that. It's just you got to do it, and that's something I see what you're doing. Like coming this sort of midweek, you get to catch up with your friends and do that, plus learn skills. Mm. The shop that Dad went to, they didn't have the skills of that. It was just mm. a group of mates, and we don't have the knowledge that we have today, and we should be using that knowledge. And that's what you guys are doing, and it's yeah quite easily to get into your routine of going home and switching this off and shutting the door and that shouldn't happen yeah yeah um big time and that that's actually a really good point that i probably didn't i've never really considered that for our generation right it, it's probably a bit of a a um maybe that's what some people recognize in themselves that they need a bit of that socialization for sure um and and yeah my old man used to go and catch up with his mates at the pub maybe yep. uh, and that sort of stuff and probably less um, beneficial than c going down a bike shop and, yep. you know, doing learning stuff. But just the conversations you have as well, even if you're not officially learning from someone, that just yep. conversing back and forth, you pick up so much. You do and it's – that's – yeah, that's the thing that – such a miss, you know. It's, um, it, it's, it's the real relationships and you hear people talking about their doors now like uh, – the fear of someone knocking on your door. Yeah. You know, oh, gee. Whereas in the past, oh, I've got visitors. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, like it's like the, oh, you better call me before you walk to the door. That's how we've turned into. Yeah, good point. And it closes your relationships down and you, 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 you can, you've got more time to dwell and sit at home. 
I don't know. I I, I, I don't like that too much. And I, I see yeah. it very much around. And I, I appreciate what you're doing with that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think um, humans seem to naturally seek comfort. Yeah. So, you know, sitting on the couch is comfortable, but it's probably not going to help grow your personality or you as a person as much as maybe getting outside and trying to learn some things or, you know, that sort of stuff. So I think um, that's a, yeah, it's a really good point that you're hitting on. Yeah, cool. I don't know. I, I, I hope it made sense. And, yeah, we totally meant that with skinnies, yeah. Yeah, I hope it made sense because <laughs> yeah. it is something I had thought about. I was like, man, I always looked at that and, like, I never thought of it at the time. I just thought Dad was over there. But the, there's a way of it too. There's a vent. There's a, you know, it was good for us kids. We were all out riding push bikes down a bike shop and all yeah. that stuff. It was awesome. But at the same time, like, it's 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 missed. It's really missed now. And, um, yeah, you just five o'clock comes around. You, you see the people, like, the head gets into the phone, mm. the door's locked at the shop or whatever they're doing and straight home to yep. whatever it is and you don't get that time to socialise anymore and then the sad day comes around, you've got kids' sports or this and that, same deal, that's disappeared and as a kid growing up, all the families went to kids' sports even. Now it's you take your kid to the kids' sport. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I might yep. be very judgy on that but that's just something I see and I don't have kids so... Maybe I just look at it in a different perspective. I'm not sure. No, I think I think you're right, though. I think um, it it does definitely relate to how easy it is to pick up a phone and be social, but in a different way, and yeah. maybe less constructive way. I don't know. Like bubble social, hey? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I I, I really um, it's it's funny how often um, I. Th- think to myself, oh, geez, I'm tired. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in at the garage a couple of nights a week and maybe a weekend or on a Saturday. And sometimes I'm just like, geez, I'm tired. I, ca- I can't be buggered to go down there. And then I get down there and it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> why, why did I think that? I don't, I don't even know why, because I get down there and just get so much energy from the people yep. there. Um, and, and you get to hear about their lives and it's really funny. We've got a really different and like different types of people. Like you've got, we've got people who are, um, welders, fabricators during their day job all the way through to people who design software, um, town planners. One guy, one guy actually was a town planner and he, I, I didn't know this until like a week ago and he's like, oh, sorry, I've been a bit off the grid like I haven't come into the shop for a bit and I was like yeah what have you been doing and he's like oh I bought a gym's mowing just thought I'd have a crack at that seriously so, yeah yeah and he's apparently doing really well but um just as all small business owners are just consumed right yeah. um trying to make it successful so um yeah he's like no, I've decided I've got to you know draw a line in the sand um turn turn myself off at some point off the clock yeah. and, and come in and just enjoy myself at the garage. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's the first thing that you want to do after work is yeah. come and enjoy. Do my work. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. good though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, like he might not actually come and bring his bike in that often. He just comes and grabs a beer and has a chat to people. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Spends half an hour just watching someone or like we've got a bunch of uh, members, like one of the members, Vic, and 
he's in his 70s um, and he still rides. He actually came on an overnighter with us the other weekend. Yep. Um, we had we had 50-50 men and women on that ride uh, and then the age range was about 50 years between the youngest and the oldest. Wow. So, yeah, really broad range of people and that um, is really what, we get there, which is I love that. Yep. And uh, and Vic just comes in on a Wednesday, cracks a cider, and then walks around and just says, "What are you doing there?" And like the wealth of knowledge that he's got, he's a, um, a bit of a BMW K series fanatic, yep. um, so he's rebuilt a bunch of those bikes. And so someone comes in with a Beamer and uh, an old one at that and he's sort of like, oh, yeah, this and that and just starts to, you know, subtly point out things and they're like, oh, geez, there's a bit bit of knowledge I can, wow. yeah, soak up here. So, and, and it's not just on Beamers, it's he'll, he'll just say, oh, how does that work and how does this work and if, like, I've been caught out and I'm like, I feel like I need to explain it to him, but he knows. Yep. But he's asking you to sort of so he can sort of do a bit of subtle teaching yep. as well. So, yeah, there's there's those sorts of folks that come around the garage too. Yeah. What's yeah. he ride? Uh, he rides – actually, he had an old um, – oh, I think he has an old panhead Harley. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think I'm in the panhead. Uh, and then he's got a K100, I yep. think. Uh, he's got a couple of BMW K bikes. Yep. Um, he's actually just finished rebuilding one from scratch. Um, so, and and he hasn't shown anyone. So he's going to do a reveal at some stage at the garage. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the cool stuff that we like to do is like, he's like, oh, do you mind if one night at the garage we do a bit of a funky reveal and then I do a bit of a presentation. I was like, mate, that'll be great. Let's do awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to do that. Hopefully, I think we're penciling it in for late June. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Those those bikes like that, like the R series or the K series BMs and yeah. stuff, the, the guys and girls that have got into those over the years are in. Yeah. Like they're right in. Yeah. We, we've got one in our riding Colt group. Bikes. Colt bikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. We've got one in our riding group that he worked at um, – he did his apprenticeship at BMW in Sydney Motorcycle mm-hmm. in the late 70s, early 80s. So worked through all those bikes and he had his 50th about oh, – must have been about six or eight years ago. Mm. And one of his mates that he did his apprenticeship with, his gift for his 50th was one of the original R-series toolboxes, toolkits. Oh. Because they had special some special uh, tools for him and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah. He goes here and like he like yeah from being eighteen to fifty or whatever oh. and getting this gift that like yeah. you, when you're doing your apprenticeship and that you're working hard. There's a lot of good memories. And he's like, man, that's the best because he's still got some of those bikes too. Yeah, that's the best gift I could ever get. Yeah. I, I thought that was really neat. You know, because oh, they're yeah. cold bikes. You're right. You yeah. know, yeah. So. I don't reckon there'd be. It, you'd be <clears throat> lucky if there was a. And a bike that was built in the 60s yep. that still has its original toolkit with it. Gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good gone. luck if you find one of those. Absolutely. <laughs> Tell me about your bikes now. Like yep. we've um, – you had the 69. You've still got that. Yep, still got it. I'm actually piecing that together. I've got um, 
I've done more in the last month than I have in the last six years. So wow. yeah, I got some got some new spokes from Ashes Spoke Wheels. God, yep. those guys are unreal. Absolutely. Like the the difference a brand new set of spokes will make to a sixty year old set of wheels, it's outstanding. Um, and so I've I've respoked the wheels. Never done it before in my life, and had Skinny sort of give me a bit of a coaching session on how to build your own wheel from scratch. How'd you go? Um, you know what? Everybody said you'd be, I'd be pulling my hair out, and there were some stages where I was like, "Yep, yep, this is this is tedious, yep, and um, and really frustrating." But uh, it wasn't as bad as what I thought it would be in my head, um, and I think it was two things: the right tools and the right advice. Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, there's inside and outside spokes, and then some. Some wheels aren't symmetrical, so if you cross up the actual wheel rim and get it wrong, you find you've just got to do another oh, 50 wow. spokes again, basically. Um, <laughs> Torture. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit frustrating, but um, it's when you when you get told the right technique from scratch, yep. makes it makes your life so much better. Is that all good? Yeah, yeah. They came up and I put it on the truing stand and gave it a bit of a spin. You've got this little needle that kind of shows you how how much the wheel wobbles yep. away from the, the the needle. So you tighten it to get it just basically consistently flying past that needle. Yep. And it was moving about a millimetre. And um, even Keely Pritchard I had a chat to and he's like, geez, mate, like those wheels are so unreliable. You're lucky you even got it that good. Wow. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, like um, there's points where they welded certain rims um, and they weren't like pressed or anything. They were actually like made from a piece and then joined together. Um, And and he said like often those parts are just like, it's almost like a buckle on its own. That's the... It's a factory buckle. ...bit of a weak spot. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it was good to be able to get those together and I'm going to get some rubber on them and and sort of... Probably more balanced than the factory. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't um, give myself that much of a pat on the back, I don't think. What rubber are you going to put on? um, I'm actually... I like to do things a little bit differently. So I'm going to go and I love... A, I love a scrambler, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Yeah. Um, so I um, I actually am going to put some knobbies on it, but I'll probably go with some trials tyres. Cool. Um, but I've actually got skinny looking for me at the moment because the tyres at the moment are a bit, bit hard to get with all the petrol issues mm-hmm. uh, and because that's apparently used in part of the manufacturing process, there's a shortage in a lot of tyres. Yeah. Um, and if you can get them, they're not cheap. So um, I'm just looking at almost um, there was an Avon Trials tire that you could get, and it's kind of it's got it's knobby, but it's not you know ridiculously knobby. So yep. it's pardon me, it's a bit um, better for on and off road because uh, I'm pretty honest with myself. It's not going to do a whole lot of off road k's, but I want it to at least be able to do some. Yeah, um, and it, and it's. I'm kind of rebuilding it to be uh, a really nice shop bike that also gets ridden. So, Awesome. We'll see. We'll see. But it's coming together and, and I've got the pieces sort of of the puzzle coming back together. And Lovely. Yeah. yeah. What, what's your, have you got a goal, a goal time for next year or what? When? End of this year. This year? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I actually um, might even stretch to trying to get it running by um, the McDoan Dust Hustle. 
I was going to ask you about Dust Hustle. I was like, I wonder if you will, but... Yeah, I might flat history. track it, but I don't think I'll QMP. Yeah. I wouldn't be jumping at it, that's for sure. For sure. That's cool. That's yeah. cool, bike. Colour? Um, I'm still tossing up. I'm thinking lighter colours, yep. and um, I actually saw some really nice Hello Engine builds. Um, there's a guy in the States. Uh, he's in Bike X a couple of times, yep. but he's done some really nice kind of scrambler builds and, and kind of like unique period type builds. Um and um, I kind of like I like a really light blue almost, yep. um, something like that. Uh, but to be honest, haven't locked it in yet. So we might see some funky stuff come out. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like to push the boundaries. And um, there, there was a really talented builder actually, Francis von Tudo. Okay. And, and he used to work with Skinny and he's gone back to Italy now, but... I don't. If you've ever seen, he got he got a couple of builds in Bike Exif, yep. and the builds he did were just outrageous, like ridiculous. Um, but they were so good because he pushed the boundaries on a lot of things. Yep. And I think they were they were kind of those builds that like people see and go, oh, I don't know about that. But then oh, they're like before their time a little bit. Yep. Um, and and yeah, so I, I like I really loved his style. So I'm trying to maybe follow in his footsteps a little bit there and put a little bit of that flavour on it. because he's bold. Yeah, he's a really good guy and he, and he sort of taught me a lot of things along the way. So He was working out at Benio, wasn't he? I think he had a shed um, at Benio or something. Yeah, for a bit, he moved around a bit. He did? Yeah, yeah okay. so yep. he ended up actually um, just yeah. before he moved back to Italy, he was in this tiny little workshop in Fortitude Valley with Skinny. Wow. And that was where I'd, I already knew him, but, yeah, that was kind of... Um, where we spent a lot of time there, and then yep. also in the in the new workshop just before he took off because he was around for a few months. Wow! Yeah, his builds yep. were different. I yeah. definitely remember seeing the name pop up in the bikes, and yep. yeah, yeah, oh, that's exciting. And yeah. your road bike, you've got a twelve hundred scrambler. Yeah, yeah, the Triumph Scrambler twelve hundred, the what, XE. What made you go to that? Um, I do love a good Triumph. And yeah. Yeah, their, their latest sort of modern classic or retro classic, yep. whatever you want to call it, builds, I just, I love the look of them. I love the kind of old school, um, pretty bare bones look to it, no fairings. Yep. Um, and and I, I also kind of thought to myself, I just started riding a little bit of dirt at the time and I thought, you know what, I think I want a bike that I'd, I'm not limited by what road surface is. Yeah. Um, so I can go and just ride um, tarmac and then be like, oh, yeah, flick a few buttons and go off-road. Mm. So I do love that. Um, I am – I have a little bit of a problem at the moment though. The frame's broken. What? Yeah, so just, um, just in front of the kickstand. Yeah, it's so I'm a bit – I was a bit upset by that, but then, so, like, I, I, I haven't been kind to it. No, no, you've done the things that you should do with it, but yep. wow. Yeah, yeah, and like, and when I say unkind, I just mean like, I've, I've, kind of maybe gone off road a fair bit and yep. gone maybe off a few um, bumps that weren't necessarily just bumps. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it's a heavy bike. It's from stock, it's like two thirty kilos wet, yeah. um, so it's not a not a light bike to be getting air and then landing. But so what do you do? What what happens there? 
Uh, Triumph are really good. They're covering under, under warranty. So I spoke to um, Oliver's and, and they sort of said, yeah, um, your warranty is still in effect and that sounds like something that will get yep. covered because um, I actually don't think it was from the riding. It's it's actually been on the stand because yep. um, it broke right near the stand and, and there's a few sort of people that I've spoke to with that have had the similar issue. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a shame, but I think um, it's, it's good that they're standing by the bike and, and sure. replacing it, which is, yeah, great. Man, that's, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't heard, obviously, that um, happen with that, but you've loved it, hey, the whole yeah. time? Oh. Generally. Oh, my God, that bike is so good. Tell me a good day yeah. on that. Um, What's been a good day? Well, we had... Actually, recently, my partner and I, Bikita, I'm yep. really lucky. She loves bikes. What's she ride? Uh, she rides a street twin, actually, Triumph yeah. as well. Yep. Because um, at the time when I bought my bike, she was looking to upgrade because she had a Suzuki TU250 yep. um, before that. And and it was a good bike, but she hits highways and, she, you know, she was – a good gust of wind did almost knock you off that thing <laughs> yep. um and and so um she's always liked the similar style bikes to me as well yep. and uh and she's she liked the street twin so yeah we sort of got those bikes around similar times um and she's she loves it she actually rides more k's than me because she commutes to work she works at uh, qt at gardens point there so yep. she commutes to work on her bike like a couple of times a week. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, a good day on our bikes. We we actually went for Easter. We took a bit of time off and we, um, you know, the country's been hit pretty hard by the last couple of years. So yeah. we're, we've been trying to head in, we in west and just sort of explore some of the areas and you find these tiny little communities and, you know, at least stop in and buy some fuel, get some coffee and do whatever you can there yep. to try and inject something into the community, even if it's little. But um, also it's just parts of Queensland I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And and we kind of went out to um, – we went, we went up to this this place actually called Back to the Bush and it, and it was basically a farm stay mm. and um, – there was about seven or eight people staying there at the time and we rocked up on the bikes, long day. Um, we actually went up through Jimna yep. and went off-road from there. Um, and then so we, we rock up at the end of the day absolutely tired and the, the host was like, oh, you know, the ent entertainment's about to start. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, yeah, have a look. And, it, and it's this like... Um, Elvis impersonator and he's just like singing and probably hif hitting about 50% of the notes. Oh, no. uh, yeah. And, and so I just, uh, that was the funniest time because yeah, you, you, you don't plan those things, but um, you, you go out and have these experiences you would never have expected to have had. Yep. And, and that's what I love about getting out on a bike, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, you find some, absolutely awesome stretches of road where it's just these twisties yep. there's no one there and you just go a couple of laps you know nothing um, like it hey? oh it's unreal yeah. yeah so yeah i really enjoyed that and i'm sort of i managed to get some really nice drone footage and, and bike footage so i'm kind of whacking together a bit of a video um that sort of stuff that i'll hopefully share soon tell me about that um 
you've created your own YouTube channel mm. uh, with bikes, drones, the things you're into. Mm. How's that going? Um, to be honest, uh, not as good as I would like, but I, I, I am my own harshest critic, which you probably uh, understand. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It takes a lot of... Um, a lot of effort and a lot of kind of courage to put yourself out there and have people watching what you've done and potentially tearing it apart. Yeah. It's, jeez. Uh, um, <laughs> some of the comments you get and you don't expect, you're like, oh, right, that hits home a bit hard. But then you've also got to think um, they don't know you as a person potentially either. Yeah. And also, if they're providing constructive criticism, maybe I can be better next time. So I suppose all those things considered, I don't put out as much videos as I would like. Um, and then on top of that, I've had two hard drives die in the last six months with like collectively almost nine gigabytes of footage that I could not recover. So unfortunately, I had about five or six videos I was going to make and they're just, they're gone. What hard drive? One was Lacey. Yeah, right. Not not a cheap hard drive. In, in one of the orange cases yep. as well. Yep. Jeez. Yes. Very rare. Yep. yep. Um, so, uh, yep, there's that one, which they have a warranty. You get a new hard drive, but you don't get any of the data back. Did you try a recovery system? And yeah. No go? No good. They yep. actually have, with Lacey as well, free recovery as part of... Yep. the hard drive and that was one reason I bought it but they they couldn't couldn't get, couldn't get anything off it uh, and then the second one was oh, I think it was a, I can't remember if it was a Western yeah Western w. Digital yeah. and it was two months old and um, and the guy said to me at the local data recovery place what are you doing to these hard drives and I'm like I don't know I just I just put stuff on movies on them and then yep. you know they die so it's yeah, it's a bit bit disappointing, but I, I guess like those challenges aside, I get a real kick out of the creative aspect. Yep. And it's not a fast process for me to create those films because like I've I've been editing stuff probably over ten years now. Yep. Um, probably even thirteen or fourteen years, and and that includes like really basic GoPro one maybe yeah. footage that yep. you're like, oh, what do I do with this? Um, Put a transition in. Yeah. You're like, what do yeah. I do with this? <laughs> yep. Put a weird flip transition yeah. or something weird into it. Swirl or something <laughs> in this, a bit of hypercolour. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, you know, that's a long time ago. But I I actually, I, I took a year off the military and I went and lived in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that was where I, I started to get semi-serious about video editing. Um and I got some GoPro footage and slapped it all together and made this video. And there was a local um, video comp. It was it was part of the Banff Mountain Film Festival, yep. if you've heard of that. Absolutely. Um, I go there every year. They're, they're the best videos. Yep. Like, so inspiring. inspiring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes me want to get outside and do stuff. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't actually the big part of that. It was kind of like a, a side segment of it and... They were sponsoring, throwing videos in. I actually made like top three and I was like, well, okay, this is all right. And I got, I think I got third. So I was pretty stoked with that. Um, And then I came back 
to Lennox and I had a couple of months just before I um, I went back to the army yep. and I was looking for a job and I saw this like ad pop up on, I can't even remember what it was. It might have even been, I can't even remember the Craigslist was a thing back yep. then in Australia, but mm. it might have been Craigslist or a forum of some kind. Um, and I applied for this job and it was video editing for a skydiving company. Yep. And they were in, um, they called they were called Skydive the, the Beach Byron Bay, but they're actually in Ballina at the Kingsford Smith Ovals. Oh, true. Yeah. Yep. So they used to um, fly out of Ballina Airport, fly sort of over Lennox and that sort of area yep. and then jump over Ballina and land on that football field. And so I would, I was one of the editors and I would come in and um, the lady, her husband was one, running the skydiving part but she had had experience working for Red Bull and so she knew heaps about the process and how to, how to structure everything and so... I, I learned so much about the process of video editing there yeah. that like I, we, we structured the shots to the point where they would come in and I could just drag and drop shots straight into sections of video and I could edit um, a video in 10 minutes end to end and it right. was a three-minute video um, and so you would just tweak, cut the start and end of each little clip, yep. um, bring the audio up and down in the right sections uh, and then top and tail it with, you know, some branding and then you've got a video. But like these days when you're trying to be creative, it's a whole different process yes. really because you don't have the shots that are like one, two, three, four, five, six. Like that's a production studio level thing. But if you're trying to be creative and make something a little different, you've kind of got to like throw something in there, see how it goes, go, nah, that, that doesn't work, yeah. chop that out, maybe go back out, shoot some more footage, come back. It's it's a real process. So, um, yeah, like your, your level of production that you do in a day, obviously the planning that it takes to be able to piece mm. something together because you potentially can't go back out and reshoot that. It's pretty impressive. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're talking hard drives and stuff, it's real scary. You yeah, know? like uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's 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 a risky thing. It's a risky business, you know, because you you you're indebted to people. It's why I, why I won't shoot weddings, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough. Like people who, who shoot weddings have to pretty much pay for twice the amount of equipment and things yep. because they need a backup of a backup. Absolutely. And so because you it's know, too much one, emotion one person's too. special day and you lose that, oh, it's not worth it. I wouldn't want to be that guy. Nah, it's not worth it. It's hard yeah. enough with a race team. Like there's a lot of pressure on doing the stuff with the teams and stuff and making sure you get enough throughout the weekend and that. And to have the fear of that happening, yeah. let alone being that emotional day of that one day. I've, I've had five or six offers to go do it and the money's okay, but that doesn't mean anything compared to the harassment that you can get uh, online. You know, oh, yeah. It's just not worth it, you know. So, yep. yeah, money's not every every measurable concept, is it? You know, no. It certainly helps some things, but doesn't measure doesn't measure the stress that comes with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the job satisfaction. Yeah, from that, I suppose, like getting just nailing the shots and you know yeah. piecing something together that people come back to you and say, "Oh, that was really good." Like yeah. that gave me these feelings and that sort of stuff. And um, I, I love doing that, and that's kind of why 
I do that as like a little side hobby, I suppose. It's a huge part to it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and being creative is fun. Like it's not something I think <clears throat> it's like uh, you, you try and hide it forever, mm. I think. You, you get in that literal world where, you, uh, I don't know, you're trying to do the thing, the normal things you're supposed to do in life. Mm. But to be creative, you sort of put it to the side or you, you don't don't act on it sometimes. And it's really nice to actually do it and put something together and look back and go, gee, that worked out really well. Because yeah. You've cut, it's like a builder, I guess, that sits back and look at a house they've just built from from a plan or made a plan up. You, 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 there's a lot that goes into that. You come back and go, man, I, I really, usually not I, we really achieve something out of that as a team. And mm. that's really cool to look back on. And Yeah. But being creative is fun. Like, yeah. It should be fun. And um, I'm working on a project at the moment that's mm-hmm. really abstract, yeah. uh, really creative. Um how am I going to say it? But it'd be like that real stoner type uh, thing, which traditionally I am such a literal person. Like fear and loathing type. Uh, it'd be yeah, it'd be it'd be very abstract and very yeah. silly. Um, think of Rick and Morty. Oh think yeah, of, okay. Um, but not cartoonish. Um, yeah. Something that. You know those weird thoughts that you have just before you go to bed that keep you awake all night? Oh, man. One of those. Yeah. And that's – yeah, I'm really excited for it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I've been holding on to it for a bit. I'm writing. I'm doing yeah. things. And it would be very character-focused. And people are probably going to hate it, but it's something creative that I'm doing for yeah. me and I'm looking forward to it. I've, I actually um – uh, yeah, I love that idea because I have these weird thoughts and then I, <laughs> yep. I try and like ex- explain them to my partner and she's like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's that's what I love about the video element of things yep. because you can actually start to explain some of these images that come into your mind. Yeah. And it's really hard to get out on paper, like you, to draw it or yep. write it because it just isn't doing it justice. No. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's... Uh, it's a it's a really difficult sort of process, but uh, you know, like you said, it's really when it comes off, so satisfying. And I, and I think um, you'd be surprised. Like oh, I was just, I think the show's called Big Les. Have you ever right. seen the no. Big Les show? No. Uh, it's it's like what what you were talking about in terms of the genre. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just got a big um. Uh, Yeti guy, right. and he's just always um, punching cones. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know whether that's uh, user friendly, but oh, I don't care. Um, basically, it's just that sort of thing. Yeah. People loved it. People ate it up. Like it yeah. went viral, you know. And and there's there's all those weird things that you think, oh, this is a bit strange, but maybe it will actually be super popular and. Could yeah, be, so it don't could shoot be yourself thing. down before you've you nah. know, got it out there. No, nah, it should be good. Hey, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't shot anything with it yet. I've written some things. Mm. Um, I, I, like I'm right into comedy, and I, not yep. that I never was, but now I'm right right into it more than ever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the podcasts that I listen to. I listen to a lot of comedians on podcasts. I'm like, yep. oh, that's cool. And I hear a lot of advice they take of don't be lazy. That's one of the big things. Don't mm. be lazy and say, oh, that thought that I just had when I'm in bed, I'll think of that in the morning. They're gifts. Mm. Yeah. So now I'm like sketch it into my phone or I'll, yeah. that's what I'll do now. And I listen to that and I'm like that's really – because, you know, you look at comedians, most of them are like, you know, stoner humour or they're like 
pretty lazy, sketchy yep. dudes. They're so much into it and they're set up at night sketching things. I'm like, yep. I'm going to take that advice on board. That's what I'm starting to do with this as well. Whereas in the past, I would have just went, oh, I'll think of that in the morning. and um, It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. You know? And they, they explain it as gifts. Mm. They're the gifts that you get. I'm like, ah, that is a gift. And uh, It's yeah. like just before you're drifting off to sleep too. I don't know whether you get yeah. that, but yep. it's that most annoying bit where you're like, if I do get up right now, I'm probably not going to sleep for nah. a bit. And I'm going to keep sketching something out. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and so I just generally, I try to just chuck it in my phone because yep. – um, it's just close to the bed, but my partner's like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I've got to figure out a better way to do this. Yeah, there's got to be. <laughs> and that, that's the same as me. It'll yep. go just straight to the phone. And, yep. um, you know, and, and as a writer, like when I went to film school, mm. you know, I don't want to talk. This is about you, mate, today, no, but no. we're talking no, shop about it. cameras and stuff. Yeah. When I went to film school, they're like, oh, have you seen such and such a movie? I was the worst film school student because <laughs> I hadn't seen any of the movies they wanted. <laughs> I'm like, tell me about a Red Bull film. Like, tell me about such and such and uh, tell me about, like, uh, you know, a Toby Price documentary or yep. a um, Krusty Demons or yeah, things yeah. that I'm interested in, the closer to the edge of the Teat Isle of Man movie. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Things like that. Tell me about that. I'm interested and mm. this is why school was bad for a lot of kids too. You're yeah. not interesting me in this. They're like, oh, you really need to see such and such a movie. So I went and watched the movies they wanted mm. me to see and they were okay and they were, they were the critically acclaimed movies. Now I'm five years out of being through film school and stuff. I'm actually writing some of the things that they told me I should be writing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe that was a good lesson, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, maybe it was, you know? And I, at the time when I walked away from finishing up with that, I thought the education that I got was somewhat weakened by I really wanted technical ability. I wanted my camera ability. I wanted this and that. Mm. But the first year was story. Give me a story. Story, story. And my stories were weak. It was like, um, you know, Tara, the motocross girl that wanted to have a motocross battle and her brother was a better rider or she was a better rider. My stories were everything that I grew up with. It was yep. so literal. Yep. Now I'm starting to get, oh, this is what developing, developing a character might actually be. Yeah. Um, you don't need to have the best camera. You need to have good story. Yeah. And that was their big thing. And now I'm like, oh, maybe that is the case. So, Yeah, you see a lot yeah. of people talking about it lately actually um, and – a story does beat like technical yeah. ability, I think, because, and it's shown every other day when not necessarily the really um, uh, trendy type stuff, I suppose, but like on short form social media yeah. where there are very talented people who are able to hit a really important point yeah. and and give that information across in a really interesting way and tell a story yep. but with 15 seconds, oh, genius. Gold. Absolute genius. And and so like they're just using a phone, yeah. you know, it's not a X amount of $1,000 camera and lenses and all yep. that. So it's – it's yeah, that that's why it, it's a bit of love-hate with that social media stuff too because like you can see some really good – great work yep. but you can also see a little bit of the um copy and trend type stuff that for sure yeah spirals a bit did you i never have did you mm. ever get into the gary v stuff uh gary vanderchuk yeah i 
I've started one of his books. Because he's that, he's that person yeah. that within 15 seconds can yep. develop everything that you need to know. Like yeah. just can do it. It's like, wow, like I never, I never got into listening to the whole thing, but every now and then I'd flick onto something like, yeah. oh, he's such a good storyteller. Yeah. Like he's got that down pat, you know, like and it's not it's literal stories, mm. but he's got that fifteen seconds, you know, down pat or whatever. Yeah, and that took that took him how many years as well? Forever. Yeah. Yeah. It it takes a long time. And that's what I try and tell myself is like my first stuff that I put out is probably gonna be cringy in ten years. Yeah. And I looked back at some of my old stuff and I was like, Yep. It was cringy. Yeah, it's cringy. <laughs> yeah. But um it's about that's about developing, I suppose, and finding out what works and what doesn't. Yep. Yeah. We all can't be like, what was the uh, brother? Was it Cohen Brothers that made Dumb and Dumber? I'm trying to think who it was. I don't think it was. I forget who oh. it was, but it was like one of their first films. Oh, really? Right. Jeez. And they make Dumb and Dumber. You know, like yeah. it's like we can't all do that as their first film. You know, one of the top yep. five comedies of all time. Um, obviously, done heaps of um, short films and stuff too, but. Yeah, it's hard work. I've I actually um, I've got this really good story from when I was in Canada. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so I t- I had a had a tough year um, overseas in 2010. Yep. And the pressure cooker at work was really high in 2011. So I was like, I'm going to take some time off. And that was when I I was like, yep, yeah, okay, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to be a bit of a ski bum. And then when yep. the snow melts, I'm going to buy a motorbike and I'm going to ride down through um, like Central America and then Central America and that sort of stuff. Wow. And so I was initially like really interested, but then sort of um, things changed a little bit and I realised that I probably didn't have the budget to do it all the time and also riding down through Central America, I probably needed a buddy and I just couldn't couldn't get anyone. So I ended up um, shifting gear a little bit but I bought a van for like 500 bucks and it was one of those like V8 GM like RV type vans Um, and it was people people, – in a nice way, described it as a creeper van. Yeah. <laughs> that's much worse terms. It probably come to mind. But that's quite a nice way of saying yeah, it. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I, uh, I drove it to from Vancouver to Whistler and it was fine. It had these all-terrain all tyre or all-weather tyres on it. Yep. I was like, oh, they must be all right then. Um, and and so parked up and I, I lived in Whistler for about a month and I was trying to get some work but it was December and... To get work in Whistler, even 10 years ago, you needed to be there in like August at the latest to get snow season work because it was so popular. Um, But I I managed to stay with some friends and contribute to rent and that sort of stuff. And one of my friends came up with a a name for the van. It was called Ivan Malat. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And luckily none of the Canadians or Americans twigged on the name. So it was kind of a really good tongue-in-cheek name for it. Um, but I, I, I took the van, um, I ended up getting work in Lake Louise near Banff and that is just an amazing part of the world if you ever get the chance to go there. And I, um, one of my mates, uh, said at, at one point about halfway through the season, it was in February and it was the coldest week in winter that we chose to go on this road trip down to America. Right. And, and so we drove this van and 
we were heading down the highway and it was minus 40 Celsius. And that's not, not a lie. Like C, 40 one, minus Celsius. 40 Celsius. Um, so it's cold enough that when you're outside, your eyes kind of like itch and get a bit painful because the moisture in your eyes is starting to freeze. Yep. And your nose as well, like your nose sticks together when you breathe in. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So um, oh, it's just making my eyes water. I think about it. But it's... Um, yeah, it was not a not a good drive in a in a van that was um, pretty old and um, heavy and on these all weather tires, which turns out don't work great in snow. Right. And it was puking snow, uh, and <laughs> and we're freezing. We're in. I think I had double gloves, double beanie, double jacket, and we even had to stop in a servo and get one of those heat packs and oh, just no. put them in our boots because yep. my feet were starting to like go numb. Like in the vehicle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. No heating. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. And and so we're driving down this road and this logging truck's about oh, eight to ten car lengths in front of us, so a long way, and we're doing. 60 maybe, 60 yep. k's an hour, and um, I see it start to slow down, so I'm like, all right, put the brakes on. No, nah, we're sliding, okay. Uh, off the brakes, on the brakes again, yep, we're still sliding, okay. Um, softer on the brake. no, nah, still sliding. Uh, and I was just looking at the back of this logging truck and yep. it, like the bed was eye level. Right. So I was like, that's going to come straight through the window, windscreen, and we are done. Yeah. So I sort of... This is how much time I had to think, by yep. the way. Like, even though time's kind of moving in slow motion when you go through these experiences, yep. I moved into the oncoming lane to get a peek around it. Uh, there was no one there, but then the, struck, the truck started sliding across both lanes because it tried to turn. Yep. So I was like, well, there's no more other choice. Like, yep. speared it off the side of the road, but um, it was probably about a... It was really sort of um, the road had was built on a berm sort of thing, so it had really steep drop off either side. Yep. And I thought, if I go off at an angle, we're rolling because the van is so cumbersome and tall. Yep. And so I steered it straight off, and we just aired straight off and did the whole like ah, and then crashed. Oh, no. uh, yeah. And so all that happened was we popped a tire um, and bent the back bumper. Jeez. Yeah, so we're pretty lucky and um, and I've got I've still got a photo of me. We had the presence of mind to take a photo of the berm and the berm's like another two feet above my head and I'm, what, five, six on a good yeah, day? those vans. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, so um, anyway, <laughs> we crashed right next to the logging yard because the logging truck must have been trying to turn in yep. and he sort of slid to a stop across both lanes and then managed to get himself out. And we realised that we couldn't access the jack to change the tyre because the back bumper was bent up in front of the back door. Yep. Inside the back door was the jack. Mm. So we drove it over and this logging truck that or the um, kind of caterpillar thing that pulls, that has a big claws on it and yep. pulls the logs off the back of the logging truck, we got that them to jack up the car with that and then I managed to get the tyre iron yep. out and we changed the tyre and, yeah, minus 40. And um, and then we got back on the road, like, thanks, guys, no worries, drove off, kept kept going. And, uh, and we got to the border with the US yep. and I realised I didn't have my passport. I'd left it all the way back at our 
place in Banff. So I was kicking myself. So I had to turn back around. And, of course, the weather was absolutely stunning on the way back and got got back. I think we'd spent 10 hours on the road the day before getting to the border and we ended up just getting a hotel next to the border, sleeping the night and then driving back and it took us four hours the next day. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. And did you try again? Uh, we, to go to the US? No. Oh, I did later on. Okay. Um, yep. And I actually drove down to Los Angeles and then we were, um, I think some damage got, more damage got done to the van than I realised because I didn't really check it too much. And I managed to get down to Los Angeles and then we were heading out towards the Grand Canyon and the yep. tail shaft dropped out of the bottom of the van yeah, right. um, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Not good. Yeah, it was a place called Kingman, Arizona. Yep. And um, and basically... Whoa. Yeah, middle of nowhere. We were going to the Grand Canyon. Yep. And I think you needed, you needed about three teeth to be able to live in that town. Correct. Uh, and... Hit the tow truck driver towed us back, and their their welcome mat at the tow place yep. was actually it, it wasn't like welcome. Yep. It was like no tweakers or crackheads. That that was their welcome <laughs> welcome mat. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we had to sort of um, basically scrap the van, grab all my stuff out of it, and get a hire car. And yeah, yeah, went back to LA, and then ended up I flew across to. Uh, the northeast where I was uh, I actually had gotten a job at a summer camp and we were we were um like it's kind of like you they call you counselors but you're kind of like big brothers and sisters yep. at the summer camp yep which you know we had a great time and that that was that's a whole nother story to be honest that's another two hours worth of really yeah yeah it would have been good like to go up to that like that's oh. something so different for us you know oh so Amazing and and the northeast has got to be my favourite part of the US. Where 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 did it put you? New Hampshire. Um, yeah, okay. Yep. Which um, I love their motto. Their state motto is "Live free or die." Yeah, right. And they're one of the states where you can ride a motorbike with no helmet and just you know yep. yolo freedom. a little bit. Yeah, freedom. <laughs> yeah, 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 fully. But they're they're not sort of the real um, conservative. They're, they're liberals, they're called, and, right. and not in an Australian sense of a liberal. It's like you are free to be your own person yep. and do your own thing and live your own way yep. and live the consequences of your own actions. Yep. And I thought that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's what's the closest city? I'm just trying to think. Like I've, mm. I've toured pretty extensively there. So yep. what's the closest major city in New oh, Hampshire? Um, there's actually a really big university there. Oh, it's killing me. Um, or college, as they call it. Um, one of the bigger towns that's come into mind, but it's not the one I'm thinking of, is Manchester. Okay, yeah. Um, and then, ah, oh, it's absolutely killing me. It's a, it's a really big. Um, they call it an Ivy League. Yeah. Okay. College. Yeah. Right. Yep. But it, it's. It's a cool part of the world, though, isn't it? Oh. Going over there, like it's just—it's stunning too. Yeah, you know, really stunning. And I, I, what I appreciated about driving up through that area for for when I went there, um, was the flags. I, I'm yeah. I'm a person that um, you should be patriotic patriotical about your country. Mm. I think it's a hundred percent something that you should be proud of. Yeah. Um, 
and going through those areas, and I'm sure you've seen yeah. it as well. Every house has it. Yeah. Um, I, I really respect it. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, something I really liked about him, I haven't been to America since 2016. Yeah. Something I really appreciate, though, is if you're on public transport, people standing up, the respect, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, veterans. Um, you know, we thank our veterans. Every public service you get. I don't know. There's something. Yeah. It, 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 you should be proud of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm definitely, I, I definitely do appreciate that. And I think Australia is good with it as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think um, the veteran sort of term, I I see good and bad uses of it. Okay. Um, so I think, I don't think um, veterans are incapable of doing bad things as well though. I think to the point where people can't even say, oh, that person's done something stupid or bad. You get blindfolded by some. Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Um, and I thought I was, it was pretty novel at the time, um, like on planes and that sort of stuff. Like um, if you fly American Airlines, they're yeah. like, everybody, uh, we've got some veterans on board today, give them a, a round of applause. And I was like, geez, I don't, I deserve this. I just did my job. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's what a lot of Australian veterans are like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, they've, they've kind of, Hollywood has latched onto it a little bit in certain terms too, which I, I don't know how I feel about it, but yep. um, it's, I think there's definitely stories worth telling there, but also um, with some of the stuff that's gone on in the past 10 years, you can't also, you, you need to accept some of the good with the bad, I suppose, is the for sure the the thing there and and to be honest i i am proud of what i did but i don't like to go out and tell people that i suppose no. I, I don't know i yeah but we as humans like all make mistakes too yeah yep. you know that's something that and that's hard for people to also talk about is mistakes you know mistakes that have been made and ownership of things and whatnot but yeah, at the same time, no matter what you I, – I guess no matter what you're doing, if you've done it in your best interest that you've been identified in front of you, mm. you've got to be proud of those things. And Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of 2020 hindsight where people look back at yeah. things and question what happened. Um, but you've got to make a decision with the information you have at yes. the time. Yep. And, you, you know, the Army trains a lot of people to – go through a very rigorous decision-making process. I, I will say that's one thing that they are really good at. Decision um, process. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, understanding a problem uh, very quickly or understanding it in depth quickly and yep. then making a decision, a timely decision yep. um, because the, there's kind of a, a term that they use as, you know, the, a good decision an 80% decision on time is better than a 100% decision too late. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting one. And just, just that was my, one of my takeaways from there. I, mm. I, I just drove around up through, um, uh, there's a place called Bethel. Oh, right. Um, up in, uh, I forget what state's in, might be up, up in New York state still, I think maybe, I'm not too sure, yeah. but. Um, it's where Woodstock was originally held. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And uh, a big, a big Amish community there, and 
I just seen how they lived out there, and I'm like, this is just a real cool place. I really identify with this yeah. place. This is a um, this is a neat place, and just yeah, a proud place, proud of their area. Yeah. Um, lots of freedoms. Yeah. You know, like you're saying, and I just enjoyed where it was. You know. So. Yeah. Have you been to Texas? The Briefly. flags there. Yeah. The, I don't know whether you've seen some of the flags. They're like three stories high in front of like a car dealership. Wow. And they're just. It's it's like a almost a competition of <laughs> who's got the bigger flag. flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we flew we uh, what did we do we we um we're in New Orleans. Oh, and, yeah. and road tripped up to get to Texas because it was the major airport to get a flight back to the West Coast. Yeah, and um so very briefly I don't even remember it really. It was yeah. late at night, hotel out. Yeah, of, okay. But, uh, yeah, haven't really been into New that Orleans part. is a cool place too. Yeah, very interesting place. Yeah, definitely a very interesting place and. Um, one that will never recover from hurricanes. Like Oof, it no, never will. Uh, no. You know, you go into a, for instance, like you go to uh, Bourbon Street, mm, you know, yep. go into a bathroom in Bourbon Street and you can, the, the remnants of, they'll never touch it because that's mm. how it is, you know, that's the yep. history of that area and through the French Quarter and stuff. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely place, so. Oh, un- unreal. And the people there are so nice. It's magic, eh? Hey? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, um, yeah. We You're got looking some forward to going back? Yeah, I, I am. I am. Yeah. I um, got some funny stories about New Orleans and stuff. <laughs> um, that yeah, shouldn't see the light of day. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like so, any my partner Annie and myself went over. Mm. Um, I think it was our last trip to the states, and yeah, it was just a crazy time, crazy night. And it was one of those nights that you remember the first Hangover movie. Yeah, it's yep. like. At the end, we should destroy the camera. Yeah, just destroy the camera. Yeah, like we were supposed to go out on a um, boat tour out through the um, the bayou. Oh yeah, the next day. Yep. Made to the Hard Rock Cafe next door. Didn't eat. Just didn't move. Like just <laughs> wasted a day of the life. And something must have happened that night before that. Just yeah, it could be one of those nights that yep. maybe should just forget that. <laughs> It's good though, um, but that's travel. That's that's yeah. the the eyes opening of the world. Yeah, um, I got to get you to talk about Kingman because that's oh. on Route sixty six, uh, but yeah. just on the edge of Route sixty six. Yep. Um, did you have to spend a night there or anything? I didn't actually. So I um, I was dumb enough to buy this dodgy van and try to drive it across the country, but I was smart enough to get insurance. Uh, ah, good move. Yeah, yep. and so we spent a bit of time in the McDonald's. Um, I I actually barely saw it, but um, it's a real small town. Mm. Uh, and um, I don't know whether you've seen is it, it was um, the Sasha Baron Cohen, um, the last one America thing that he did. Yeah, and he the, I don't know whether you remember the place he goes in and announces that they're going to build a mosque. That's Kingman. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. And the, the people in there, like, yeah, they were, you know, ready to shoot someone. Like, um, yeah, yeah. That was did, – did you like that movie? Uh, is this is going to be – this is like if I'm a psychologist, yeah. this is a character test. Oh, is <laughs> it? Um, the, I liked how he held a mirror up to uh, – well – yeah, I did. I, I actually uh, part like of an experiment. Yeah, I think what he was doing was holding a mirror up to America, yeah. so they could see themselves. Like, I think it was Rudy Giuliani. 
yeah, the was. stuff that he got him to do and just put it out there, I was, I was, I was floored. Like I couldn't believe some of the stuff. The guy was oblivious. Yep. And, and the level of what they think is acceptable to do in life and not to mention the fact there's also a camera present. Like he shouldn't do it anyway, but there's also a camera present. Like, jeez. Man, he was oblivious to the consequence. Yeah. It was just like this is a normal everyday mm. thing. This is just what it is. And uh, you, you, you just looked at it like I'm sure this is a, a prank that he's aware of. Yeah. Like is it set up? Is it is it a jackass-style jackass style yeah. thing where it's – but. It, didn't seem it like it was legit and no. as if like what was his position then he was like not attorney general but he was like counsel yeah something like that like yep. a, a position of influence and power yep. um and um just no idea of the consequence yeah crazy oh. it was a good one I, I i really enjoyed it I, I think if i'm looking at a character for myself i look at as a character reference mm. maybe i'm a dodgy character because i enjoyed that movie yeah i, I loved <laughs> I it, it. Funny. No, i reckon it's great yeah um and sash baron cohen's a smart dude like he he some of his comedy is kind of like a bit eh, but what he like the reasons behind why he's doing what he's doing yep. is actually like you think about it and you're like, that guy is a genius. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smart cookie. Yeah. He, he really is. Um, yeah, you've got to appreciate those ones because yeah. at the end of the day, he, he could quite easily be silenced out there yeah. in, in the current world of um, NDAs pe- and People wanting to lawyers. not buy it, lawyers and yeah. things like that. Amazon saying no, we don't because it was an Amazon movie. Oh, yeah. We don't want that coming through this. But they seem to be actually extremely lenient of what they let through. Amazon. Mm. They've let through a few things, and I'm like, whoa, that that could have, especially like Rudy Giuliani within the Trump government mm. at the time was a um, was part of it, you know, part yeah. of that that group of people, and um, like, wow, that any, how much power do you have at that point, you know? So, mm. and for for him, I'm sure he could have put an embargo on it forever, and he didn't. That's a nice thing. Um, but who knows? Good movie, though. Yeah. It, it's actually pretty interesting, the amount of control in media. Mm. Um, when you kind of have a peek behind the curtain of yep. what they do and don't let through. And I think that's why podcasts like this and, you know, like citizen journalism is really important. Like yep. you're seeing some of the stuff coming out of the Ukraine is unreal. And, yep. it, and it's because there's citizens that have the capability to take a video yep. of what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, I, I remember a couple, maybe a month or so, month or two before Russia invaded Ukraine, there was people um, in Russia putting up on social media videos of just trains of armoured vehicles heading towards the Ukraine, like the, wow. we, the western border for Russia. As in preparation for it? Yep. Mm. Yep. And everybody saw it coming, but like um, you'd you wouldn't have had it even a clue if it was just your standard journalism because, you know, Russia just won't let journalists talk about stuff. They just silence. chuck them in jail. Yeah. <laughs> they check, yeah, like quite literally. Yeah. They just silence them, you know, and, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd hate to guess how it's going to end. I don't mm. know how it will end, but... Um, yeah, it we're definitely the closest we've been to a world war in 
what, 70 odd years or something? 1945. Yeah. I got to ask you this mm. last, last question because <laughs> we're pretty close to memory cards and yeah, I've yeah, kept yeah. you for a long time. Oof. You, when you got home in mm. 2010, 2011, you went over to Canada, you yep. went to the States. Did it help? Uh, in terms of like helping relax, yeah. Oh yeah, I was a different person it by the end of that. Out. Yeah, good. Yeah, yep. I think um, I was wound up really tight. Yeah, okay. Because there was a lot of pressure, um, and and uh, really really quick story yeah. that explains a bit of the pressure. Um, I actually got uh, in. A lot of trouble. We also managed some of the, they called it VVIP accommodation. And so the Prime Minister at the time came uh, through to, um, they called it, we called it battlefield tourism. Um, that was how we saw it. Um, but uh, they called it uh, something more politically sound. But basically, um, they would come in so they could see what's actually happening on the ground and, you know, it's their political decisions are sending people to do certain stuff and dying basically. Absolutely. Um, and, and so he came for, I think he was in the staging base for about six hours and I got in trouble because he didn't have shampoo in his... Um, in his um, like VVIP it. accommodation. Like there wasn't a little like gift shampoo like a hotel. And I was like, um, <laughs> I kind of, I cracked it a bit and I was like, we're not, we're not a hotel. He's just about to go into a place that is a lot more hostile than a hotel room. Yeah. And um, my boss was like, that's not the point, you know, we've got to do this and that. And I, I was just sort of said, well, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this, uh, the pressure that people put on those situations I was like this is a really good example of something super trivial but right. it's just pretty also a bit of bit ridiculous when you say the words out aloud um, so yeah I came back pretty wound up from yeah. that that was by far not the worst thing that happened but it was something that um, is probably a bit more palatable to talk about um, so I is that Kevin Rudd, 2010? Yeah. Would have been, hey. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying yeah. to go through my head. We had a few leader changes at that time. I'm like, well, it must have been. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I can't remember whether it was while we were there that actually Kevin Rudd was in and then Julia Gillard came in, after, yeah. like, housed him and, <laughs> um, and she actually came in as well. At Like, so during my tour we had two different prime ministers visit yeah um and they both brought like 50 odd um people with them okay. i was like holy moly that's a big entourage <laughs> well as as in um 50 like political assistants and really yeah all sorts of people pr Protection, people pr yeah everything well, yeah okay um i'm pretty sure the You'll defense force ended provide up provide their own protection. Provided a yeah. protection party because they're the ones that are on base. Like yeah. they know the base, obviously. You know. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And oh, well, they actually, yeah, they had special people looking after them. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah it was it's pretty interesting. And coming back, I was yeah, like super wound up. I would 
I would probably um, get a, a bit too upset about things that were trivial. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think just a change of scenery, change of pace, and the I, I actually the summer camp that I went to that probably had the best effect on me because I got to I got to just um, be pretty relaxed and I still had a lot of responsibility with these young teenagers you know like cr- trying to shape them and do the right thing around them that sort of yep. stuff but it was just a, a lot more welcoming and natural and that sort of stuff that's actually um, part of I, I kind of felt really welcome from day one in that place yep. and that's actually part of what I try to replicate when we're at skinnies um, I stole mm. that little tidbit from those guys is literally just um, you know a new person shows up walk up shake their hand say welcome what's up and start to tr- try to ask them some questions about themselves get them in they're, yeah they're part of you yep. yeah yeah wow. yeah yeah because people like to hear well, people like to talk about themselves, which you probably know very well. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's good. Like it, yeah. it is a nice – it's a thing that you try and put away, but it's nice to mm. hear from people, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, yeah. communication, it's the only thing that we've really got to – it's a tool, mm. you know. It's yeah. a tool that's not worked, not used enough anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so that helped, eh, going over there? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I came back. And um, so I actually had still a contract with the army I had to fulfil. Yep. So I, I had to come back and go back into the army after that and I spent two years in there and I, I actually deployed again in 2014 um, and that wasn't as um, uh, high pressure but I did end up getting embedded in one of the headquarters with the Americans yep. and so we ended up um, we, were, we were involved in trying to help the elections along at the time and and that made me really hopeful for Afghanistan at the time because, you know, thing, th- things like we we met farmers, when, when they vote, they dip their finger in blue ink and then they put their fingerprint down and then vote and the idea is that's a really rudimentary way to track who's voted and who hasn't. So they can't double vote and all that sort of stuff. But the Taliban then come around and chop people's fingers off when they find out they've voted because they've got the blue ink stain on their finger that doesn't come off for weeks. So um, these farmers who work with their hands, their, their livelihood, the way they stay alive is their hands and they are still going out and voting and dipping their finger in the ink and there was one farmer we found and he had, I think he had two two fingers and his thumb left on his on his right hand because yep. um, uh, Taliban had taken the other two and he, um, he came up and uh, the PR person took a photo of him giving the finger to the camera with his blue stained middle finger and I thought that was great. I yeah. thought like there's hope for this place yet. This is an old fella yep. um, who wants to see a better better way for Democracy. his country, better yeah. place for his children. But unfortunately the, the Taliban's tactics are so brutal that it's very hard to stand against them and the collective will of the Afghan people um, hasn't, cemented yet like it hasn't hasn't reached a point where they've really just yep. 
picked themselves up by their bootstraps and gone gone against the Taliban because it's so hard for them to do. And the West tried to help, but there's only so much you can help someone. They've got to help themselves. And unfortunately, we saw in the last 12 months where that went, which is a real shame, to be honest. Like the Taliban are um, not nice people and they made a lot of promises so that the West would say, yep, okay, we'll move out and now we're seeing them wind back those promises one by one. Yeah. They're, they're women who are um, on broadcast TV um, even in the last week or so. I think they've got to wear full face garb um, and and not show their faces on TV. Um, and they've I'm pretty sure if they haven't already, they're working on young women not being able to go and get an education, yeah. which... The reason they do that is because educated people know better yep. and if they stop them being educated, they don't know any better. Man, it's uh, it, yeah. it's actually something I wasn't going to ask you about mm. the last 12 months, obviously. Yep. Um, it's okay to not have an opinion. I guess that's that's one thing as well for people. But yeah. Yeah. Um, do, I, you, do you have one? Just sad? Uh, I'm sad yeah. about it. Um, I I've got... Uh, friends of mine who gave their life to try and make that place better. Yep. And um, it feels almost like it, it didn't achieve a whole lot. Um, even though at the time we were we were achieving a lot, um, yeah, it's kind of gone to the point now where it's it's wound back a lot. And long term, I think. I think we have planted the seed of what they, what, what the people in Afghanistan know will be better yep. for them um, because we didn't go in um, necessarily to, you know, the first reason they went into Afghanistan was just to get Osama bin Laden. Like yep. that was, it's well documented and well known. But um, they stayed and... For better or worse, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of people lost their lives, both Afghan civilians and and military. And I don't think um, right now the current country is not better off for it. But I'm hoping in the long term that it is because it's a beautiful country and the people there are absolutely lovely people. But it's just some people are just absolutely ruining it for everybody. Yep. And, it's, and it's really sad to see. Um, and I don't think, I think um, that there's uh, a lot of really, like, people talk about good and evil and that sort of stuff. And um, I can understand that nobody's the bad guy in their own story. But some of those people, you wonder how they justify what they're doing to other human beings. Mm. Yeah. Just entrenched? Just so far um, ingrained, sorry? Yeah, I think... They slowly get used to some kind of, you know, like bit by bit they go down the, a path where things that are horrible for one person become the norm for them yep. maybe. Yep. Um, and they're, they're so driven in what they want to achieve and what they think is right for people that they're willing to do anything and not compromise. Yep. I think not listening to someone else's side of the story and making compromises is one of the worst things 
um, that you can do as a society and and it it just ends up like you said it's communication right but it's not just speaking the words it's listening to the words and absorbing what someone's saying in their perspective and I think that's one thing that um, is unfortunately not really happening in one of the parties anyway like at at um at, at our era of, of people, do you think we've gotten better as a society? Like you look at the events over there, you look at obviously mm. Russia, Ukraine, you look at, um, you know. Oh, it's oh, a bit of rain. Rain again. Yeah. Uh, again. Um, <laughs> things like that. Do you think we've gotten better? Like we don't have a World War Two happening at the moment. Yeah. We, we don't look like we're too far away from it. If you look at some things, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is the closest in my lifetime I've ever seen to something like a world yeah. war. Do you think we've gotten better as a society? Um, geez, that's a that's a hard question to answer. I think we have, in some respects, yep. and I think it would be very wrong of me to give like a black and white answer because that's kind of what I don't believe is right. Yep. I think um, there are shades of grey, uh, and I think. Um, To be honest, that's an a-, a question I ask myself every day and I can't answer. Yeah. So yeah. my answer is I have no answer, which is terrible, but I'm I'm not I, – I, I just think it's – yeah, it's a very difficult one. I think all you can do it, – it's so cliche, but just you, yourself, eh? Just yeah. <laughs> do you and if, if you can do better each day, I guess that's a good thing. And yep, yep. And that, yeah. that's kind of what – like we just try and – shine a little bit of light in our corner yep. of whatever we can try to try to help people with. And I think um, the the world is a big place and a lot of people have big, grandiose plans, but um, I also think a lot of what happens that matters yep. is on smaller scale um, and important and can build up to a bigger you know, it can build momentum yep. up to be have a bigger effect. Like people want to do these grand things. It's like just start small, yep. do it well, and, you know, make people's lives that little bit better and you'll be surprised. Not everything has to be top down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, mate, we'll leave that there. This, is, no. this has been a journey. We've talked yeah. about some – man, we, we, we've strayed off some – from talking about motorbikes to, yeah. to some different things, and <laughs> um, we're, we're pretty close to three hours. Yeah, um, on that, cool. I'd like to do another one yeah, at some point. Like, sure. let's sure. I'd like to see how. Obviously, I'd like to see skinnies grow over the yeah. next um, six, twelve, ten, whatever months. Um, and I'd like to do another one and talk further about obviously the garage. Yep. Um, and things you're doing professionally as well outside of with your own uh, business and your own work. I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to drones and cameras and stuff. I really cool. I really enjoy it. It's self-indulgent, really. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to talk more about that. Yeah. Where can people find, obviously, the garage online Yep. and yourself and all those other details too? Cool. Um, so, easiest place to find uh, Skinny's Garage on social media is Instagram and it's at skinnies.social. Uh, and then our Facebook page is Skinny's, Skinny's Social Garage, not to be confused with with Skinny's Garage. So Skinny's Garage is the mechanic side of the business, traditional mechanic, drop your bike in, mechanic does the work, 
um, nine to five, that sort of thing. Yep. And then after hours and on weekends, we have the social garage. So it's the social part's important and we have a lot of people messaging us um, in the social garage asking for us to fix their stuff and I'm like, that's cool. If you want to be a member, we can show you how to do it. But if you're actually looking from the mechanical side, I'd try and push them that way. But um, And we share the website. So it's www.skinniesgarage.com.au slash social um, and that takes you to a bit of an information page and you can kind of click through and find out a bit more. But um, we're definitely mo- more active on Instagram and Facebook and that's where we kind of put a lot of events and things up. Yep. Um, we have started a YouTube channel, um, Skinny Social Garage, and we've been putting up some just some videos because I like making videos. Yep. So we've put up a few of those sort of initiatives that we've done. We had a women's wrench night the other day um, and... Um, taught some women how to work on their own bikes and that sort of stuff, which was really good. So we threw up a quick video of that uh, and those sorts of things. Uh, The plan is to eventually hopefully start to do a little bit of videos of how to do stuff as well on that YouTube Uh, and then um, maybe a bit more skills uh, in the members section on the website as well. But, yeah, that, that's where you can find us or you can just come down to 76 Abbotsford Road, Bowen Hills. Uh, and so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights after five uh, and then all day Saturdays we're open for the social garage. Um, and you can just come and, and visit us, say good day. We have a Fast Fridays, which is kind of just a social meet and greet. We have usually throw on a barbie or, or um, get some pizzas in and you can become a temporary member for the day or night uh, and and have access to the beer fridge, the coveted beer fridge, yep. um, and and have have a feed and that sort of stuff and you know get get use out of the garage if you're not sure whether you want to become a member or something like that you come down and get the true experience and and meet people and learn about bikes without having to just commit to a membership so perfect yeah yeah well, mate, I'll have to I'll have to come along again to to another one to yep. another function and um once this garage film stuff happens too, yeah, um, I think they're doing the desert said dance one. At the that's moment. that's exactly that what happening? they're trying to do at our garage. Oh, yep. good. Yeah, yep. I really want to see that. I got some friends in that. Yeah. Oh, um, right. The Baja One Thousand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So I really want to see that one. Yeah. Um, and I know they're representing it here in Australia, Garage Films. Yep. So uh, yeah, I'd like to try and maybe come along to that if that happens. And yeah, definitely, yeah, come definitely, and, come and hang out for a bit. That'll be great. Cool, mate. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers, Mick. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for on today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already, and uh, we'll be back with another show soon.